Kia ora everyone, welcome back to the Side Hit Podcast, I'm your host Fat Tony, and today with us we have Nick Hine, welcome Nick. Hello Tony, how are we going? Not too bad bro, how's your day been? Good day, thank you. Yeah? Can a bit of, uh, pretty much just work and then over the crown range, so oh. very happy to be here, thank you for having me. Oh dude, pleasure's all mine, it's thanks been for coming some, along. Been some legends in this seat, so yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's an honour. <laughs> sort of been tripping on that one, eh? like holy fuck. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, it's been mm. cool to hear everybody's everybody's yarns yeah yeah so how was your winter this year winter this year was was huge actually Mm. yeah um got a lot of days up the hill most of my days for fun were with my daughter (laughs) yeah which was actually it puts a whole new spin on going up the mountain it requires a wee bit of patience how Um, old's your daughter she's three and a half so she's sort of at that age where sliding on snow can kind of happen or yeah yeah so she insisted on doing both snowboarding and skiing um her <laughs> mum's a skier and i'm a snowboarder so she insisted on doing both so i ended up having pretty much just mewling everything up the mountain and then um snowboarding is kind of hard when you're three to be honest like yeah so <clears throat> skiing though she loves she can go on the chairlift if she she calls it the gondola and yeah we can sort of go all around um and at the end of the season she's sort of doing lower m1 and mcdougall's which was right. pretty huge pretty yeah. pretty fun just Having the family out there. She's going terrifyingly fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. That's, yeah. that's awesome, man. But it, it puts a whole new spin. It's a whole new dynamic <clears throat> on going up the mountain. And, yeah, it takes patience. But um, every second is worth it. It's pretty hard not to get your camera out and film. Because it's you yeah. want to record how special that moment is. You know? <clears throat> so dad cams in full effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it has backfired. Because a couple of times I've been, like, trying to film. And, you know, she might go off a wee bit off. But um it's it's very very special yeah for sure yeah. oh rad mm. yeah the pack mill um i remember marcus Whirley used to um pull his truck up at Cadrona and um pull a wheelbarrow out with all the kids and like, <laughs> wheelbarrow. we have wheelbarrow up the kids the snowboards the kids gear everything was in the wheelbarrow boom up and <laughs> that's kind of genius yeah yeah well it's um, rural it was very genius. <clears throat> uh, Bridget, our, manager, our general manager, she was all like, no way, there's a bit, what are we, you know, oh, how, how can we do that? And wheelbarrow parks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wheelbarrow parks and shit. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> oh, he's just, again, ahead of his time, that dude. 100%. Mm. I'll kick this one off, Nick. Uh, where are you from and how'd you get into snowboarding? Uh, I am from Mount Maunganui. I was actually born in Hamilton, um, but had had enough of there by the time I was about six (laughs) and we moved to the Mount um so Mount Primary Mount Intermediate Mount College and got into snowboarding um because I was I think it's probably a common theme in this podcast but I was into skateboarding Mm. um and skiing my dad was a skier so we'd always go up the mountain we're part um part of a ski club up there and yeah, would always go and stay at the ski club, and I just loved it. I loved being up the mountain. And then we were—I actually bought my first snowboarding magazine before I'd even snowboarded because I was so into skating um, and skiing. I thought, well, if you put the two together, it's got to be the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're just up there. It's like a two-week stint staying at the ski club um, over the school holidays, and it was just like a blizzard every day. Every day was terrible weather. Um, so there's a dude up there, this dude, Hendon <coughs> Gillies, and I just decided, well, let's just go snowboarding. So we rented 
a horrible 120 pink hooger booger <laughs> hard boot snowboard <laughs> rear entry ski boots and um there's, and hit up Happy Valley. There's a whole generation of New Zealand snowboarders that owe their snowboarding to Hoggerbugger, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, so the first day I had like a 120, and um, I remember sort of not really being able to turn that well, but just like just doing 360s mm. down the mountain. And I, I just thought, well, my board's too small. So I asked them for a bigger board the second day, and um, I was tiny. I, been, I wouldn't have even been 120 probably. The 120 was probably pretty big. They gave me like a 159, <laughs> which I could not turn at all. So I went from doing 360s to like literally just bombing Happy Valley top to bottom. It's a flat slope, but yes, yeah, yeah, good times. Sick. Um, was there a moment <clears throat> where things clicked and you're like, holy shit, this is my, this is my shit? I remember well, the, the before actually... <clears throat> So before that day, I remember there was somebody um, at the ski club who had just this this board and somebody had some Sorel boots and there was literally just like this tiny little slope and then a rock and that you got about one metre of snowboarding and then you just had to jump off this rock. And I remember thinking, this is pretty cool. Um, but I remember the day after those two hooger booger days, um, it was sunny and I remember skiing with Dad. And so skiing instead of Happy Valley and Blizzard, we were up you know waterfall express or whatever going all over the mountain i guess this is when i was 10 maybe like 1994 or something and i remember just saying to dad look at that snowboarder look at that snowboarder oh imagine if you could snowboard that you could snowboard that you snowboard that and dad was dad just got sick of it <laughs> it's like <laughs> you, all you've talked about today is snowboarding like why are you even on skis and that summer um all I did was look at snowboarding magazines, and I think from that moment on, um, all I did was think about snowboarding. Sweet. Pretty much. Pretty hooked yeah. from an early age. Nice. Yeah. And what was your first board? My first board, actually, was um, a Burton Twin 139. I know the one. with the girls' heads on the bottom. Girls' heads on the bottom. Oh, my God. Bright pink yeah. base. Yeah. Um, and funny story behind that board, actually. So, um, that summer, I think it was the next summer, actually, um, a friend of mine who was my, like, sandboarding, one of my sandboarding friends from the Mount, um, he and I both got into snowboarding and we were, like, searching around New Zealand, we were looking, we were actually looking at buying boards, because we were just like, I've got to find something cheaper than New Zealand, we couldn't afford, whatever, thousand dollars for a board. So we were looking at these different places and, and at the time there were so many different snowboard brands. There were like, what, 50, 60 snowboard brands yeah. in the world and this one company, uh, it was something like CCS, you know, that sort of like mail order thing. Mm. They had um, a bunch of boards that you could buy and we're trying to, trying to work out the shipping and the cost and they would fax us the, <laughs> the, the board graphics and like what size we should get and that sort of thing. And then we ended up giving up on that and ended up getting Cheapskates Dunedin um to send us like a bunch of their old like rental boots they, they sent like a whole box full i remember the box arriving at the mount and it was boots and bindings i had these concrete bindings that were semi-baseless mm. i've still never seen a semi-baseless binding to this day other than those um and a couple of boards and he got a k2 juju and i got a burton twin 139 um and then we had to send everything else back um but there's a guy, um, Tim White, who used to do seasons in Queenstown. It ended up, I think it was his old board, which I found out about 15 years later. 
Yeah, yeah, we're the same year in high school. Oh, she's a small old spot. Yeah, yeah. The, South Island's even smaller. This country. I remember yeah. him being on that board because I've got... <clears throat> so my first brand new board was the Twin 53 with the crowns on the bottom, that same line. Yes, yep. And remember, like, I was so hyped to have a twin tip because that was a big deal. That was huge. It was and like the first year, right? <clears throat> seeing him having, having that be like, oh, no way, you know? <laughs> oh, so you remember him with that board? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, classic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, jibbing, so, jibbing up coronet peak he was because <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it was that, mint by the time it got to me I, don't know, I think I he ran um, tight with all those Queenstown dudes the sub 20 yep Sam DeVolz and all those dudes yep so, yeah 100% um, yeah and some <clears throat> concrete semi-baseless bindings and some airwalk boots and I was I mean, happy concrete, as Larry that's a brand I totally forgot about hey? concrete bindings I, I don't know what like, and they were extreme lowbacks Mm. they were like it was the era of low backs and these were like low low backs mm. everyone was telling me I needed to cut my bindings down at the time <laughs> like so I had just the regular Burton freestyles uh-huh. and, and they were all like Tim and all those dudes like cut your fucking bindings down dude <laughs> <laughs> like do you know how much this cost me <laughs> amazing yeah yeah, yeah. and I remember getting I remember coming down <clears throat> on, to, on holiday <clears throat> and getting some like being like these bindings they're just not working or something got some Lamar bindings and didn't realise that there's like 4x4 four four and 3D base plates even and end up just drilling a hole through the side of them so that I could actually use these bindings Lamar didn't even at that time they were doing still doing that fucking pattern like you see on the rank with there yeah yeah so anyway ended up drilling some holes in these bindings and uh, just yeah got mm. after it still got the board no, unfortunately, I would love to still have well, that board. So many collectors would be fucking... All, all the Jeff Anderson fans, because he made that graphic popular in the Vulcan, in the garden. Uh-huh. There's a section of him riding that graphic. So many collectors would be like, oh, Jeff Anderson, that one. Yeah, I remember being kind of weirded out at the time, because I think in the catalogue, you used to like, study the you know ice cream mm. scoop catalogues and whatever. Um, it had a green base, and um, this one came through as like bright pink. At the time, I was like yeah. 14 or whatever. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. 13, maybe. No, I must have been, yeah, 12 or 13. <clears throat> so you mentioned sandboarding, and um, that sort of segue is <laughs> pretty good because a uh, certain Carl Dunham mentioned that I've got to bring up sandboarding with you. And, um, Carl Duffy Dunham, he was a sandboarder back in the day, yep. He was he was part of the crew, Heart Street Chargers. The what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there are a few crews around the mountain. There's Clyde Street Underground and... Um, and these, these are all sandboard crews. No, no, no these are actually oh. surf crews. Oh, right. But um, he started Heart Street Chargers, I think. Well, I don't know who started that, actually. But um, the first time I met Carl was down the sand dunes. Um, and we were at the beach. And I remember I just, like, built a jump or something. And at the time, there weren't that many other people who... Like, I had tons of snowboard magazines by this point. I was super into it. And, and I remember him just sitting there. He must have just gone down to check the surf or something. And um, he just said, can you do a tail grab? And I remember being like, whoa, how does he know this language? Like, tail grabs. And he started talking about, like, melons and methods and, and whatever else. And then um, from that moment on, we were pretty much inseparable, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Mm. Um, for our for our listeners, could you please describe your sandboard and the related <laughs> graphic? As I know, Carl sort of made a made a point that that's 
Oh, so I think I just uh, so the guy who I got into um, who bought the who I bought the snowboards from Dunedin Cheapskates with, he and I got into it. He lived down a slightly gnarlier part of the beach that had bigger sand dunes, so he he was into it, and we ended up um, making mirror snowboards. And at the time, um, there was a nitro graphic. The Seth and Seth, mm. which is like the smiley face on one side, one was blue, one was red. So we copied that and like painted off our snowboards and put um, elastic bindings on and um, just spent every second of our lives trying to get after it down the sand dunes and running from authorities occasionally. Cause right, they, really? Yeah, they don't they don't like you riding the dunes. Oh right. <coughs> Coastal erosion, but uh, yeah, it was. You were outrunning the sand dune authorities. <laughs> and that's, then Carl, actually... That's kind of a bizarre sentence right there. <laughs> you know? um, I remember wearing that thing through to, like, like through the layer of ply. Snapped it. We tried to build a rail. I remember building a rail with Carl and going down there and, like, literally first hit on this rail, tried to board slide it and just... <laughs> my favourite sandboard snapped, like, <laughs> straight down the middle. And then Carl actually <coughs> made a sandboard with um, a Burton Custom graphic on it. I don't know if you can remember one with the turtle. Yeah. 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 It was amazing graphic. And he just spent hours, days, if not weeks, like getting this beautiful sandboard graphic to go. Well, while we're speaking of Carl, I'm hoping you can um, provide some insight into a picture I seen a New Zealand snowboarder where there was, they had a caption saying, Carl Dunham getting familiar with the 5.0 and not the trick. <laughs> Is that him? I think it was in Reno, maybe on the on the bonnet of of the uh, police car. Yeah, I remember him just sending me through that photo with no explanation. Because <laughs> <laughs> the cops seemed to be laughing at it as well or some shit. Uh, it was like a beautiful crispy way at the time. It was crispy because he got this like <clears throat> like Sony Cybershot. Like it was two point eight megapixels or something at the time. It was like next level when he sent me through this photo. It was like wow. It turns out that I think the person that he was in the car with got a speeding ticket. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he hopped out and asked the cop if he could pretend to put handcuffs on him and arrest him. And um, that's where that photo came from. Oh, right. And I, I think it had his, his oh. camera in there. Oh, Carl, you big tease. <laughs> <laughs> and um, does Carl also mention I've got to ask you about snakeboarding? Snakeboarding. Snakeboarding yeah. was one of those things that I did. So yeah. when we moved from uh, we moved from the mount when I was sorry we moved from Hamilton. So I got into skating in Hamilton. I don't actually remember who I skated with in Hamilton, but there was quite. I mean, we lived quite close to Hillcrest, mm. which there's like a huge bowl and like uh, there used to be tons of demos come through so there. Like the stuff. Melville Bowl. So yes, stuff. Melville. Sorry, um, we lived in Hillcrest but we'd go to the Melbourne Bowl yeah um, it's been a while um, and then so there's like a little street section and there's a big bowl and stuff and uh, I used to go down there and skate and then we moved to the Mount and nobody really skated I'm trying to think what would have been like 1989 or something mm. and I remember being like oh everybody's into rollerblading alright because <laughs> yeah. there's a place over in um, Greerton called the Roller Rink and everybody went there so um, inevitably, uh, if, yeah, I just had to like give up my skateboard for roll blades, which at the time I was loving it. Mm. You know, six years old, hooning around on blades is what everyone's doing. It was great times. And then that finished, and the next phase started, which was snakeboarding. Mm. So um, 
yeah, we just snake fought up a storm on the driveway. Um, I remember like, I don't know, dad knew somebody had a, I don't know, who could get a deal on the snake board. And we ended up, um, like I had a little quarter pipe on my driveway. So driveway is pretty much where I spent a lot of my childhood, whether it was on a skateboard, rollerblade, snakeboard, whatever it was, just like that one patch of concrete was huge part of my life. And then we had uh, a quarter pipe, which actually two quarter pipes, which you turn into a half pipe. Um, and my neighbor and I, we would, um, uh, like tr- we would go up the quarter pipe and see how high we could get. And we'd have a competition and put a little chalk mark. Brad Timberlake, if you're listening, shout out. Um, yeah, so um, that's that's where the snakeboarding comes from. And I actually had that thing in the garage. I don't know where it is now, but every time I go back to the mountain, I have a little hoon around on it. And it was actually pretty fun. Like, I don't know, I just had a friend who got one. and I There's a couple of instructors at work that they used to get drunk at house parties and bust them out. <laughs> and they swore by them because you could pedal pedal that shit oh yeah yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah yeah you totally pedal it like yeah you oh, kind of yeah, can yeah. it's pretty awesome actually to go down a hill on a snakeboard mm. like it feels they talk about it there's this like because you stand on it and you go nowhere right mm. if you just move your feet you gotta like and they talk about it that it comes with like a came with a vhs that sort of explained how mm. to, you it's the power movement <laughs> so it's um you know the dream ramp that's out that zoe Sinnott used to live in mm-hmm. um when the Sinnots lived there there was snakeboards out there, that dream ramp. Ooh. Because some closet snakeboarders in Must in be, spot. yeah. Because I remember like, people. Wayne Pretty like dropping in on the snakeboard as a joke. I mean, he fucking slammed so hard. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I and mean, he was a couple of LMPs deep. <laughs> <you know? laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, and I just got into it because my... It's, this is a semi-interesting fact, but I just got into it. Like, my friend had one. And I just wanted to, I just remember like just seeing a snakeboard and just wanting to like copy it and just get the hang of it. And he was goofy. So I actually snakeboard goofy. And snowboard regular. And snowboard regular. Yeah. It's not as uncommon as you think though. There's a lot of people come through the shop up the hill that surf. Surf surf, one way. Surf one way. Snowboard the other way or skate one way. I know. If I didn't... I actually can do both equally, <laughs> snakeboard, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I, I am a goofy snakeboarder. Mm. So how did um, skateboarding get into the picture, or back into the picture? Then? So then snakeboarding, um, I always had something, you know, if it wasn't, like I just always needed to be kind of obsessed with something, I guess, mm. and like needed to be outside, needed to be on that driveway. Yeah. <laughs> and um skateboarding came back into the picture because my friend justin was an american and he'd just come back from uh moved back from america and he had a board like a like one of the what we call you know it's not even called a new school board but one not like uh, an old school fat ramp vert board we used to call mm. it was a street board like a mullen yeah. board and um i just thought it was the coolest thing ever that somebody was back into skating and um he would just we just skate my driveway together. So that was that era. We like no way, double kick skateboard. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I would have been maybe like standard four or primary schools, so like you know nine or ten. Mm. And um, and then his dad was coming back, and at the time, like for a for a deck in New Zealand, like it was kind of it got bigger by that point. Like a couple mm. of my good friends, um, who I'd grown up with, um, in the mount had got into skating, and mm. there were quite a few. There's a vert ramp down the road because. 
like I remember when I first moved from the mountain, I remember going down to the vert ramp, and that's like where people would sort that's of conjugate. That's pretty infamous and, vert ramp, isn't it? Yeah, it's very well known. And it used to be, it used to have a roll-in. Mm. And when I was like six, I skated a bit, but and um, there were a few kids down there. I remember like shitting myself, but being six and like rolling in on that thing, and then mm. I broke my nose doing it. Um, but then it went by the wayside, and then everybody would just go back down the ramp. And um, basically, that just led to... And then beside the vert ramp, there was the netball courts, which is where, where every, all the street crews skated. Mm. It's like a little two-stair. It's like a little um, sort of roll-on, I don't know, waxed curb. Yeah. Um, and there were just some sort of local legends down there that could do like 360 flips and stuff. And... Um, and Rob Mitchell, actually, I think I would have met him about that time as well. Right, so he's from so up those ways. He is, yeah. yeah. So he was he's a huge part of, yeah, my skating and snowboarding for sure. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, to go back to the... I got sidetracked there, sorry. Oh, but, that's, that's <laughs> um, so anyway, my friend Justin, his dad brought this board back from America. Mm. And instead of it being 160 bucks for like... A deck in New Zealand. It was 160 for a whole setup. Oh right. Yeah. And um, at the time, I remember like him saying, "You can get any brand, get whatever brand you want." And the only brand I knew, because I had a the board that I had when I was like five, was a Mike McGill um, with like zero tail on it. Mm. I said, "I want a Pal Peralta." Yeah. And he's like, "What a Pal Peralta? That's not even a brand." And he's like, "Oh, a Pal." So he got me this Pal board, and he thought I was pretty lame because at the time he just couldn't believe that I wouldn't get like an Alien Workshop or something. But anyway, this board lasted me a while, and that's when I got back into skating. And um, and I remember at the time, like Dad being like, "Why would you want? You know, you skated and then you rollerbladed and snakeboarded, and now you're, you know, skating." And I was like, and I remember him saying, "You're just only going to do it for a little bit, then move on to the next thing." And I remember, I remember it really clearly being like, "No, this is, this is forever," type thing. Mm. And uh, it's just one of those moments, I guess, where I was sort of like. I knew it in my heart of hearts that it was the thing for me kind of thing. Mm. So who were some of your favourite skaters that you were looking at for inspiration? Um, I remember looking up to, um, like I had a, I had quite a few vert skaters actually. Oh yeah? Yeah. Um, but one um, one picture that stands out in my mind was a picture of Jamie Thomas kick flipping over a motorbike. Welcome to hell. Yep, yep, Welcome to Hell. And we used to watch that slam section on Welcome to Hell um, quite a bit. So definitely Jamie Thomas. I can't remember exactly who else at the time, but um, like Danny Way, some of those vert dudes, Bob Burnquist, mm. Colin McKay, Tony Hawk, any of those dudes who were like doing it at that. Because like, yeah. even back then, like vert was kind of bigger than street still. Yeah. It was sort of coming up, but it was just a change of the guard, kind of. Yeah, but I mean, when I was that age, I just loved anybody. Ronnie Krieger. Mm. Oh, yeah. His his part in Trilogy is still fucking good. Oh, man. He and had Jamie Thomas's part in Welcome to Hell is still good to watch now, eh? Insane. Mm. Absolutely insane. And then I remember just, like, idolizing mm. the dudes who had Wheels of Fortune and stuff. In oh, yep. Four. Four on one. Yep. So we'd watch those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Day One Song, Day One Song vs Rodney Marlin was like one of those videos that was mind bending for me. So many people I knew that didn't even skate loved that video. Totally. Just because of the what was happening was so what the fuck. There was, I mean, there's a there's a dude, um, Johnny, um, 
whatever his name is, Johnny Geiger or something, and he he tries to recreate John, like Rodney Mullen tricks, and one of the tricks that he's tried to emulate is one that's in that video that was like twenty five years ago, or whatever. Mm. And he records every attempt, and it's something like fourteen hundred attempts over Jesus. four or five days before he gets this trick. It's pretty um, phenomenal, just how technical those guys were back then. Mm. And do you get quite a few of the like the local, um, well, the Kiwi Pro crews coming through the mount back in those days too? Uh, um, you know, a little sort of... bit. <coughs> I remember going to a demo in, uh, over in Tauranga. There was um, Adrian Lopez. Oh right. And yeah. I actually remember like thinking he was amazing it was a circuit tour actually oh yeah and it might have i don't think chris cole was on the scene then but jamie thomas was i think mm. um yeah oh was that the one when john ratray came out too? yes yes yeah and yep. everyone was, and it was like, like the first i've heard of him fuck john ratray yeah scottish dude mm. yeah yeah no one had heard of him and everyone was tripping on him he just destroyed Insane. every demo and then the following year or maybe a year or two after chris cole came and that's when it got crazy crazy because he was doing you know he was doing stuff that was unbelievable at the time Mm. in a demo so yeah i mean from there we used to just go down and skate the netball courts every day Mm. and uh then we'd go down to arataki which was sort of like by bayfair in the mount there's there's a park there legendary park and that's where um like we'd get dropped there it's quite funny because when it was new all the big kids at the time would arrive they'd like sleep in and arrive at well, the big 15-year-olds would yeah. sleep in They'd arrive at, you know, 10, 30 or 11 in the morning and we'd get busy. So we'd go get mum or dad to drop us down there at like 8.30. <laughs> I remember with Carl, like, yeah, just going down there every day of the school holidays. He, he would always make up. There's like this tiny, maybe like hip height um, quarter that sort of like weaved its way down to nothing. And... <laughs> Dutty Carl would like make up these challenges. He'd call it like Devil's Backbone, <laughs> and he'd just ride down the top of this little thing. It's like nothing but make it sound so gnarly. It was <laughs> the best. And so, with some other crew you're skating with, you mentioned Rob Mitchell, and yep. who later became quite well known in skate and snowboard circles. Yep. Was there a whole lot of other crew kicking around the too? Or yeah, so Rob was. A huge one for me i remember the that skate park opening had a, they had a competition i think it was the under 12s and rob and i were in it and i'd done my run and my run was pretty lame i think at the time i think i did like a heel flip um to fakie on the pyramid or something i don't even know if i could what else i could do at the time maybe ollie the stairs or something and then rob was like last one to drop and he, i think he did he kickied the stairs he was like 12 years old. He was way better than me and still was a million times. Uh, and it was like so legendary. So mm. he won it and I came second. And um, and then we've ended up all over the world together, which yeah. is pretty cool. And he's like that triple threat kind of dude, isn't he? Skate, snow, surf. He's oh, got it all handled. Everything. He's just, mm. he's just lived and breathed being sideways his whole life. Mm. And it's... Um, pretty we actually did our first season in queenstown together we did our like instructors course we're just on a like we're the same age and always we're just sort of at a similar level mm. both influenced heavily by heath and um so heath was kicking around heath was kicking too. around yep so heath had already been in queenstown for a couple of years i think so mm. um for us you know skating and, and snowboarding um in the mount i was never as into surfing and rob at the time i can't remember being that into surfing either i think he got more into that later once he was not quite as, as obsessed with skating um 
but yeah, and then we moved down mm. south and, and just had a wild, wild time. Mm. Before we get into Queenstown, we'll just keep it on the mount. And can you describe to the listeners your backyard setup at the mount? Backyard setup. So that, <clears throat> so where we lived in the mount, um, at the time we had a back section, and basically the house that we had in the front we'd excavated. So it sort of like made. Luckily, it was excavated because it made the driveway flat, which is where I spent my whole childhood. Mm. Um, but up the back of the house was all the dirt they just dumped it out the back and it was like probably a story high so it was the perfect hill and in summer actually it would go dry so you could sandboard down the grass (laughs) (laughs) um but so i was working that summer um i was working at a skate shop and heath had come back from overseas early or something and he was like man we've got a snowboard we just got a snowboard and i was like I'm so keen to snowboard. Let's just make it happen. So we ended up just going around the industrial area and getting all these crates, you know, like crates that people put under mini ramps and stuff sometimes. Mm. Stacked them all up, found some plywood from somewhere, and I basically just made this janky backyard set up down this hill that was just the dirt from our property at the front. And um, then we put some AstroTurf on it. And um, it was so sketchy. And then at the end of it, I had this jump ramp that I used to skate on my driveway all the time. And we just put that at the end. And then we just found like a, nu- a couple of other crates or sort of like scaffolding pieces and put some perspex on top. And you couldn't turn on it. You couldn't do anything. And what we found out very quickly is it wouldn't actually slide unless you put water and dishwashing liquid on it. <laughs> so basically one person was shredding and one person was lubing it up. <laughs> at all times <laughs> um but it was actually kind of crazy because we learned a lot of tricks on that setup and at mm. the time i was pretty obsessed with rails like i wasn't really into jumping like i, I remember learning like i remember just dropping in on the thing switch was like kind of gnarly yeah. um and just getting to the ramp sometimes like i remember quite a few times like trying like surely you can spin on this thing you just couldn't do a 180 at all um but great for like nose presses or i don't know board slides and then we made like a gap in it and then one time we actually got ice from the from the fish place and put that on it was way too fast (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah we had a great time Mm. on that so i actually seen um, video footage of this um well what video was that on that if our listeners are curious they can find it find the backyard setup yeah uh i can't remember if it was in uh in three degrees but in there's a piece that i did with the remarkables a couple of years ago and um sort of talking about my history in the mountain stuff and there's a couple of shots of it in there right so, so it's on remarkable social media or yep something. so if you type in nick Hine remarkables you'll be able to see the backyard setup so, so if anybody like that was just our answer, right? We lived in Mount Monganui. We lived at the beach. It was summer and we wanted to snowboard. And instead of being like, well, we can't snowboard, we strapped in. And I remember I would finish work at like three in the afternoon. Um, it must have been during school holidays. And Heath would be like at my house waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd just get after it. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, Carl would come around as well and he got a few tricks on it. But it was actually amazing, like, it was all we needed, like to mm. learn frontside board slides, board slides, switch board slides, switch frontside board slides, trying ways out, nose presses, and whatever. It was like fantastic for where we were at in our snowboarding. Mm. Yeah, oh, sweet. So 
it's pretty cool but that was definitely like Heath had some froth and we yeah. fed off that it was, it was right. awesome um, so obviously snowboarding is the, the hook had sunk well and truly by then so what were some of your like local and international influences riding wise riding wise well, locally so, sorry, who were some of your influences <laughs> probably a better way to ask that one like Heath Heath just he was huge because he was so motivated still to this day I think he's got to be one of the most motivated like you know he's always the dude who wants to take things to another level um so and and Rob like back then it was um Heath and Rob and Dutty Carl Dunham so I keep calling him Dutty but that's just a nickname yeah um it, it comes from Dirty Dunham Dutty Dunham but anyway um he he was also like just obsessed with snowboarding mm. um and we were going to do it by any means necessary basically mm. um so that was huge in terms of like the magazines and stuff I remember looking at um one of the I remember Dutty calling me and being like have you seen the New Zealand snowboarder have you seen it and I was like what do you mean he's like it's just come out um Dylan, but mm. on the cover, he's like, it's it's not even, I don't know what's going on here. Like, there's a McTwist. He's upside down. It looks like he's going 20 or 30 feet. Like, it was kind of hard to understand. I think it was a Switchback 5 he had on the cover. Was oh, so um, his interview issue one? Yeah. He and Denny shared an interview. Yeah, yeah. That, that cover's fucking... Yeah, so yeah. he and Denny were just like a step above that yeah. year. Um, so that was pretty cool. I mean, what a different time though, eh? Like waiting for the magazine so you could. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> totally. Because I remember that sort of era. I'd walk past the servo, and be like, "Oh, is it in there yet?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd do the same. Yeah. I, mm. I still did until the day, it, until the day it died. To be honest. Mm. Um, but yeah, so those guys. Um, I remember seeing Will Jackways doing a massive backside air in the snow park pipe that was i can't remember what year that was maybe he's wearing like a red and black rugby jersey or something um tim jackways logan holt mm. um i remember um yeah logan doing some pretty awesome stuff on that m3 board That's m3 right. was pretty big yep. at the time yeah um and just anybody honestly mitch brown because mitch yep. brown actually went to like he mitch went to school in the mount first term and fourth term and second and third he'd come down to Wanaka that's right yeah so he and Kendall were like yeah living living the dream well from, I was like man those guys are living the dream and um mm. so he was also somebody who I looked up to locally um so Quinton of it Quinton like all of the all of the dudes all mm. of the dudes so it was a bit of a trip later on to sort of come down and actually get to know these people like Will and Dylan and be like no fucking way that's the uh... Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy shit. It was cool. It was like, we, like it's crazy because you just put these people on such a pedestal, you know. Mm. And then um, you meet them and you realize that just normal humans like you and I, mm. they, can, they just snubbled really well. Yeah. And it was like, um, but I was still, I was still starstruck every time, like going up to Snow Park and, mm. and seeing all these dudes. I remember Jar Harris being up there. Um, all those dudes who are hitting the like huge that crazy step down and stuff. That's right, the Burton kicker. Exactly. Dylan talks about that one. Yeah, yeah. That's um, but probably I remember 
because Carl actually came to Queenstown a season before me and he was talking about Jake and Jake um, oh Koya yeah yeah right yeah so Jake became really like we became really close with Jake over the years mm. um, and because we used to do a bit of coaching together and he was like Queenstown side and mm. um, he was somebody who at the time was sort of like I remember he he had it was, I think it was at the Nationals he did like a crippler or something at the top mm. of the pipe and it was huge mm. um and i remember duffy mentioning that and then i remember f- maybe my f- one of my first times riding with jay well, actually every time i rode with jake at coronet peak um i just felt like a learner because yeah. i like i felt like i could snowboard relatively well this is mm. like t- but you know i was in comp- doing competition like riding park and rails and stuff i mean he was growing time, up Oh, eh? totally. Like, you'd take him back there now and he'd still fucking slaughter that place. Yeah, so he would, it would just be like the bumpiest run-in to the shittest side hit. Mm. And Jake would just charge through it. He had coldy stumps for legs, we used to call them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he he was a huge influence. Um, But yeah, it's just cool because you, you see these people in the magazine and then you become friends with them mm. you know and it's because you're into the same stuff and um then you're in the magazine beside them you know it's like it's pretty um i mean no good times yeah right. it's like and was there some international writers that you were like fuck yeah that's my shit or jp walker if just any of the forum crew to be honest um but jp is definitely one that was huge for me um yeah, it's hard to think of anybody else that sort of came close to JP, to be honest. Mm. Um, I remember being outside city boards, I think it was called City Snowboards at the time in Auckland, and seeing the resistance. And then Carl bought it, and um, we just watched the resistance on repeat to the point where we actually wore out the VHS tape. Holy like, shit. So you couldn't even watch it properly anymore. Wore like, we tape. wore it out and fuck so i've heard that as a figure of speech but no we properly wore it out and um so i don't know how many times must have seen resistance but and i just remember like at the time i can't remember carl was just waiting for the season or something in the mounts he had quite a bit of spare time and he was um he would just like he'd read every article and he'd show me every article and watch every video part and um i just remember seeing jp do some tricks that at the time like i probably didn't understand that snowboarding was different to skateboarding as much mm. you know i was like jp switch nose presses a 16 steer to me at the time it was like somebody switched nose grinding a 16 steer yeah you know which like at the time in snowboarding was had never been done before so it was mm. incredible you know? he really meant a lot to a lot of people at that time for sure yeah and yeah. i i remember going to my first ever snowboard competition um, which I would have been sixth form, so I would have been just turned 17, I think. And um, there's a, his interview in Transworld, which was actually his from his true life part, and he had the like the front board on the soccer post, he had the front 270 over the stairs. Like, it was, yeah. oh, my God, he spun over stairs, you know? Yeah. Like, that was gnarly at the time on that Burlington rail that J- uh, Jeremy Jones later 450'd into, I think. And, um, yeah, and then after that... Um, I remember being like in Japan and being injured and that's when Lame and Brainstorm came out. Mm. So Lame and David Benedict 
After JP is David Benedict for sure. Fuck, he was a trick machine, that dude, eh? Oh, he was... He was the best. He was such an inventor. Like, such an inventor of everything. Did... Was it David Benedict that did one video section where he did a trick and then he did the same trick switch? Yeah. Was like in Lane. Was it Lane? Was it? Uh, sorry, it was After Bang. Sorry, After, after Bang. Bang. I yeah. think it was After Bang. Yeah. And I, I and but he does it so well. I didn't notice. Like I didn't even. It was someone else pointed that out to me, and I had to rewatch it again. Like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, he to me that was so awesome because he even replicated the grabs. Yeah. Um, and except, and he had all four nines. I, I can't remember if it was after bang or lane, but he had all four nines. But the front nine, they never actually used for some reason, or he wasn't recording or something. But they had a sequence of it in the magazine, and it was huge. It's such a legit front nine. Mm. Um, and Travis Parker was another one, like, mm. um, and lame, and after bang. Mark Frank Montoya. I remember Dutty being super into Mark Frank Montoya. MFM. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Jeff Anderson, I was actually at the event that Jeff Anderson died at. Really? Yeah. Whoa. So that was my first. Uh, that was yeah. That was in Japan, but that was a crazy, crazy moment. Um, Fucking hell! That's that's bonkers, dude. Because he passed away by some. He fell down some stairs or some shit, right? Yeah. So. When I was on my exchange in Japan, I hadn't seen any foreigners, really, like mm. pretty much none, for two months. And we travelled. Like I remember seeing this thing. Like it's the slope, it's the slope. And at the time, like every video pro would go in this one competition. And we arrived, and it was like really kind of. Um, it was the second day, I think it was finals. And um, I was there with my host brother, and my dad had driven us there. Got there, and it was like really somber and at the time like international pros like especially maybe from the influence from japan as well like just mega superstar mm. up there you know like god and we were driving and um mark frank montoya is like walking through the car park and i like almost remember like one down the window and like yelling at him or something but he looked really like somber yeah and then i was like where is everybody like no but there's nobody there mm. and then we we went into like the cafe or something there's a sign saying writers meeting or something yeah and it turns out that that um that jeff anderson had died like the night be- night before and we didn't really know how to react like it was just yeah. crazy and um so they, i think what they did is they just played music and just let everybody have a bit of a jam session and um that were travis rice was there it was pretty much just travis gigi and maybe one other foreigner that were riding the course i don't think anybody else was was riding it but i just remember at the time like that would have been 2003 the start mm. of 2003 travis rice was way above like it was mm. just crazy i remember thinking like he is doing a different thing to what everybody else has been so, doing I remember like oh three or oh four seeing travis rice at snow park and just being like oh whoa totally and and that was before the that's it that's all Travis yeah. rice yeah yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> this japan exchange how did that c- come about the japan exchange came about from me being at high school in the mount and desperately wanting to snowboard over the summer right and just trying to figure out a way you know thinking maybe i'll leave the backyard set up this year <laughs> 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 actually go to some mountains i was about to you know graduate high school 
and um, I was studying Japanese at the time, bursary Japanese, and um, I just this poster in the room, this yellow poster, just caught the corner of my eye. Uh, exchanges in Japan, and then I just started thinking, like maybe I could go to somewhere where there's snow. Mm. And I remember looking at like the price of it and stuff was like three and a half grand for like the whole time or something, and just had to sort of come up with that. <clears throat> and um, and I remember thinking, wow, I could probably do this. So I just made some phone calls and. One thing led to another. Um, they got me into a school that was like in the snow, um, only about an hour and a half bullet train from Tokyo, and my host family um, lived across the road from a ski resort. Oh, man. So I, I couldn't believe it. And I just remember um, it was such a transformational time for me because I remember like the lady at the exchange place, there were two other people who I went with I can't I never got their con- there's no like Facebook or anything back then mm. never got their contacts would love to hear how their time went but we went over together and I just remember the, the exchange lady saying leave your life behind everything you know forget it you're going to a different world like and I took it quite seriously because I remember being on that uh, flight and I remember looking around at everybody else on the flight going, well, these guys are just going on holiday. Like, they get to go home. And they, like, are going to just go back to their normal lives. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going for it. Like, three months just felt like forever. Mm. Um, but I think there was probably some truth in it because I came back a different person, you know, learned mm. another language, um, learned a new culture, learned... It was just the most bonkers experience. I remember after the first week being like, if I go home tomorrow, I've learned more in this week than I have in, like, Done my whole time at high school, like language, yeah. everything wise. Like I just remember being completely mind blown by the whole experience. Like arrived at the train station, they just like there's somebody there with a sign, took me straight to because we'd had lots of exchange students stay with us in the yeah. mount, and and I got off the off the train and they took me up to the school and they're like asking me all these questions in Japanese. I knew very little Japanese considering I'd studied it for like four years like, are you tired and the English teacher had to translate are you tired mm. and then they handed me a green tea and a can and like a hot can mm. mind-blowing um, and then yeah there I was um, instead of like you know hopping on my bike and cruising in my shorts to, to Mount College um, we were driving getting a train walking for an hour and um heading to school in the snow it was bizarre mm. i mean especially at 16 or 17 it's quite a um yeah quite it was a bit of an experience there it, <laughs> it was yeah it was crazy and the other thing that was different was um i was in a room like it was just i was it because i'd been used to going to co-ed school and it was just dudes in the class and that was quite that was enough like you know you could go to the school next door and have that as probably quite a crazy experience you go to a school in different culture it's like a whole new experience again luckily my host brother was like it's still like the nicest most polite patient dude in the world mm. um but yeah that was that was one that changed and what did we do so i'd always we had to catch you had to go in the car then catch the train then walk and it was like a it was a solid sort of 40 minute walk from memory to get from the train station to the school and there are only a couple of trains that left at the end of the day. 
So I would always want to catch the early train so that I could ride at night because the, the resort across from um, where we lived, they, had, they were open for night ski. Oh, yeah. So my family was so nice. and But I would... So what I would do to catch the early train, I think we finished school anywhere between, like, I don't know, let's just say 3.40 and 3.50. And the train left at, like, 3.55. And it was like a... like I had to sprint literally as fast as I could to catch that early train. And I did that every day so that I could snowboard every night. Was your host family into snowboarding and skiing, that sort of thing, too? Or? They were into it. They was, well, my host father is actually a ski jump coach. Oh, right. Yeah. And my host brother, like, competed in ski jumping for a little bit until he had kind of a gnarly accident. Um, and my host brother sort of got into snowboarding, was more into skating, actually. I think I wrote down in my interests on the exchange thing that my interest was skating, and he just got into it. And he's like, oh, maybe we could have a foreigner come. Which is quite, like, I still can't believe that um, it all happened, really. But, um, yeah, I think they could just tell that I was pretty uh, pretty obsessed with snowboarding. It was yeah. like... And... Um, they had like a family pass, like a local pass that I could use. So I just go in in there and say the the family's last name, and they'd give me a pass. And Unreal. Yeah, so oh, it was dude. it was awesome. And they had a little park, like a few rails and stuff. Um, and unbelievable. This is down in Honshu. Down in Honshu, so yeah. Still getting the Japan sort of experience too. Or? Oh man, they my host family thought I was bonkers because my first day there, it snowed. It was the first snow of the season. And all the trains and stuff shut down. I'm like in the rice field in the power, like make, like I'd never had snow at the house before. Yeah. And it was yeah, it was that classic Japanese powder, like more snow than you know what to do with, right? Mm. Um, it was yeah, just. Why did this sort of segue in the sponsorship a little? So like your first sponsors were I, I've always associated with Ride, but it was actually a couple of other yeah. guys came to the party beforehand. When that, that was my first snowboard competition that I went in was the secondary school champs, mm. <laughs> um, which I was, yeah, 16 or 17. And I actually, we put a team in. Um, it was um, my neighbour, John, or Germs, who was sort of part of the Dero crew, actually. He was my next-door neighbour in the Mount, uh, myself um, and a couple of others. And um, we put a team in. I think it was the first team the Mount had ever, ever had in there. Anyway, we ended up, Winning, um, I won the slope style and the border cross. <laughs> the fir- the one and only border cross competition I've ever been in. Um, and then came back to the mount and um, my friend Jake um, Pine, who founded Lower, um, he, I'd known him for ages and he, he's just one of those shop dudes who sort of given me shit over the years. I remember making a skate sponsor me video and he's saying, dude, this shit is freaking sick but why are you wearing those blue whack ass board shorts <laughs> <laughs> but like just the best the best and I worked with his wife and I still remember like tr- um, I don't know trying on some shoes or being in there and he's like might get you uh, would you would you rock one of these these t-shirts and Heath Heath had just got on lower as well so Heath and I were both the first sort of we were the first lower team riders and we <laughs> Jake helped us facilitate some ridiculous stuff. Like he'd always come along with his camera trying to get images and stuff and had these like sweatbands and all this stuff, like stuff kind of like the resistance, like JP and, mm. and those dudes. That um, And I remember us taking snow to like this rail at the primary school across the road. We took snow to some other rails over in Greerton. Um, and just doing 
stuff like that until we could get to the mountain. Right. Um, and also got picked up by Smith when I was that same year, I think, mm. uh, maybe or the following season um, after putting together a pretty shonky sponsor me video. Rails oh, yeah. only. I was only ever rails. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was this all urban tower? Um, no, oh, this was actually just a family trip to Mount Hutt that we did. Oh, yeah. um, and I remember like just going out in the you know, worst weather, just trying to learn how to do stuff. I think I can't remember what I did, like, a, I don't know, get to lip slide or something on a flat down, thinking that was awesome. Or, um, and then drop gloves. So I remember um, one of the dudes I worked with, he had a connection with drop gloves. Um, I was just lucky to work with and just be close to dudes who are just super into snowboarding. Like he had mm-hmm. done, um, yeah, this guy Richard Easton, he had done some seasons in, in Canada and uh, he he like hooked me up with drop and then drop also distributed option snowboards right so i rode for option for a couple of years i think the first board i got i don't know wholesale or something in the following year i'd won a few competitions and stuff i think they gave me a board um and then sort of through that yeah when i moved to to queenstown i ended up working outside sports with josh clark and mark anderson really yeah josh rode option as well actually that's Right. Yeah. Um, I think Mark was on Never Summer at the time. Those guys were both on Flow. Mm. Yeah, I remember some pretty wild times with the, the oh, Flow the, rep at the time. Flow the brands, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that. That was that mm. part of my sponsorship. So, um, <clears throat> the move to Queenstown, like, I mean, the why is, I'm guessing, pretty obvious. But, yeah, what what drove or what was the inspiration behind the move to Queenstown? Uh Carl. Carl. Yeah. And Heath. Like, I, I, and Tim Shaw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember, I actually remember Carl sort of tossing up. He had job offers um, between Mount Hutt and Coronet. And um, I think we did that family trip to Mount Hutt. And he actually came up from Coronet and rode with us that time. And then the following season, um, Germs and I, my next door neighbour, um, we did a trip down in the school holidays. And... We just stayed at the YHA and because um, we knew Heath. I think Rob might have been down there at that time. I can't remember if Rob was there, but um, Heath, Tim, and this other guy Dan um, were in this living in this um, place. They I can't remember what they called it. It was before the Dero Palace. Right. It was like a an apartment building that was about to get bowled down, and this they is had in Queenstown. This is in Queenstown, yeah. and um, the hub of the house. And potentially the only form of heating was the toasted sandwich maker. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was the best. Like we would, lit- Germs and I would literally just go from the YHA every day to their house and hang out. Was this the house they lived above a dairy or something? Yes. Yep. And- I do remember them talking about a Dero jacket that Heath wanted to invent that had like space in the pockets for a bit of cheese and some bread. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> the tasted sandwich maker. Uh, um, and I remember, like, I don't know if Heath had... Heath probably had the bougiest room in the house, but when I say that, it's just because it... I don't think it had windows or anything, mm. but it just wasn't the living room. Like, Dan, I think, just had, like, a pull-out couch that was sort of next to the toasted sandwich maker. Tim had um, another room beside that that had a big hole in the wall, and I remember somebody like almost going to put another hole in it. he's like no more holes <laughs> like freaking out <laughs> there's like all these trick like just 
ridiculous stuff written on the walls. And then above them, directly above them, was Mark Anderson and Blair Finlay. Right. Yeah, so it was, that's when I first met those guys, um, very briefly. But, um, yeah, and then Carl was down there. So, um, yeah, that, that season I ended up, <laughs> Dutty and I, Carl and I, we um, ended up sharing a motel room. This, so this is when the Dero Palace had moved from, well, that one had got completely, you know, bowled over. Yeah. And they'd moved, and um, Dutty and I got this hotel room just down the road from that, which was going to get bold as well. But we just had like it was literally just two queen beds um, in this one room, and I remember like we'd have friends come to stay, so it was like just so many of us in this one tiny little room. I remember, yeah, Josh coming back. I remember, I remember Josh coming back one night, and um, I was fast asleep. I must come back from the bar or something like a little bit early, and. Um, fast asleep and then um josh just comes in i don't think he can he could couldn't really remember it but he's like shh shh i'm like what are you doing what are you doing what what are you doing like like shh and then he's just like move over i'm like what and josh comes in like pulls the sheet back it's like shh don't worry it's just josh and then just like slides in beside me in the bed <laughs> I don't know if that one's appropriate or not, but that was just one of the many things that happened. We both, I think we both had girlfriends at one point. And so were you working at Outside Sports then? Yep, so 2003, I was um, doing my rookie course as an instructor. So learning how to be an instructor, working at Outside Sports. Um, And that year, um, we, it was quite a slow snow year from memory, but in a, towards the end of June or maybe middle of June, they got a big snowfall, mm. and there's a rail up at Coronet um, that had like sort of gaps in it. Can you remember that? Is that the um, off the old base lodge that they had the forum event on eventually? Mm-hmm. That rail. Yep. So when it didn't have the ledge on it, mm. I remember hitting that. I remember going up there for a session and. Like Mark Katzberg and Steve Fergs. Oh, those guys. I forgot to mention those guys. Those guys were hugely mm. influential. Um, so same steer set as Mark Katzberg got the cover of Manual on. Yes. Yep. Yep. Mm. And I remember hitting that and being like pretty terrified. Yeah, some pretty serious cheese grater action yeah. on those steers. Yep. I remember like, and then just figuring out, we'd only set up the, we'd only set up the right? ramp. Don't, don't. Donk, donk, donk. Yeah, and we're, we're sort of sketched. And, like, now people hit rails that are so much crazier than that. But mm. at the time, you know, we're just sort of learning, like, rails, okay, sweet, 50-50. Which side do we set this up on? Yep, cool. And I remember, like, just doing a switch board slidey thing on it, like, only just getting off the end or whatever. But I remember it was just one of those moments when I was, like, just, like, mentally so, like, in it, you know, to try mm. and just overcome that fear of... Of trying to get like just not knowing what's going to happen when you hit the kink right mm. um but yeah compared to what's going on these days it's, it's pretty lame but i remember yeah That's katzberg pretty, and yeah, fergs man. and those dudes being being around at that time and they were like the rail dudes um i kind of feel like that era was like fuck, i don't even know how to put it but like the generations after didn't really take up the urban riding like those 
those dudes did yeah right like totally that was like the golden era and even Mm. these i mean you see it sometimes these days of like little tiny run outs of rails and stuff but Mm. um i remember in the videos back in the day like just no snow on the landings Mm. destroying boards you know um but we would look at everything i remember like that year when i said when um heath and tim and stuff were in the in the first dero spot um we went to this um carl was living with this dude um simon it's gonna come to me um clegg skateboarder yes yeah yeah yep and he was sort of a photographer but really we just talked about this this rail at the ice skating rink it's like Mm. a red kink rail and i was 17 and stupid um and thought that i'd be able to hit it and um we went there and we like had this stupid setup of like a trailer kind of drop in and it was so gnarly and i remember thinking like how am i going to get through this thing hadn't really even probably hit a kink rail before um but anyway ended up hitting it and like had never really hit a kink rail before so when i hit the the flat i ended up just like boosting out over the whole down section and then landing at the bottom um but i just remember being so stoked at the time because somebody got a photo i can't remember who it was i want to even say hutchie or somebody but um it was my first photo on new zealand snowboarder and i was like pretty stoked and ended up being about there's like a thumbnail it was like four centimeters big in the cliff notes or something but i was still so stoked yeah i mean the queenstown scene at that time was fucking it was still kind of the central hub for snowboarding in new zealand i feel like like it's, it seemed like every second week there was a downtown rail jam or a downtown big air and oh, there were so many events all that shit going on eh? there's so many events i remember like um one of the altar and snc they had or snc they had a rail jam um yeah i remember being such a grom like we'd been up treble cone for the whole day remember just staying in my boots like not getting out of my boots driving from triple cone all the way over the crown range to hit this rail jam mm. in the same boots keeping my boots on all the way out, like just and um <laughs> like they pretty much and then the next year they had a really cool setup with a like a c box and a down bar and stuff and i think that's when set on camp street yeah yeah the park life yep. jam or something yep might have been 2003 or something roland was doing like butters into rails and stuff that's i remember that right. being pretty cool yeah Josh was front boarding the sea box, and there's all sorts of cool stuff going on. Yeah, man, that was oh, fuck, just such a different time. Like, so cool to have experienced it, though. Yeah, and there was like, that season was there's just it was just there's such like so much excitement around it, and we were just so like frothing on it. I mean, it was probably maybe it was to do with the era, but I don't know. I just feel like there's certain people who were just so into it, just mm. made stuff happen, and it was like just different to now it was just so much less elite i guess yeah sort of more well i mean the fact that you could have a um derelict building that you could all snow bum in for the season you know mm-hmm. where, where is that now that's all turned yeah. into condos and shit and all that stuff yeah but, nobody had their own room or anything that's for sure because mm. did you um <clears throat> when you first came down was like legit and those sub 20 dudes still sort of yeah yeah i think there's a little bit of a change of the guard maybe when i came down the first the first season i was actually injured quite a lot 
um, I had a dodgy elbow that I'd kind of hurt in Japan and that sort of sidelined me a wee bit. Um, but this, yeah, the second season, um, I think some of those guys, like Quentin was still around, 100%. Mm. Um, Dill was still sort of doing bits and pieces and I would I would coach with Denny mm. up at Coronet Peak. Yeah, we did this thing called WinTech where like Japanese students would learn English in the morning and then be coached in the afternoon. And Jake did it as well. Um, so it was pretty kind of ideal like yeah. ideal setup for the yeah. likes of us because you know go and snowboard and yeah hang and for me it was cool it wasn't meant to speak too much japanese but ended up speaking a wee bit and it's just cool but yeah i guess it was a changing the guard a little there too eh? sort of it was sort of like when snow park had just sort of kicked off mm. so, um, so i didn't really think about it like that until you just mentioned it then yeah and like roland sort of uh, went across both, you know, and it's still there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, for me, I was, like, yeah, just tiny bit after that, I guess. Like, um, mm. you know, Dill, I think, maybe had shoulder surgery. Can't remember what happened, legs. Sam Duvall was just sort of transitioning out. Mm. He was somebody who was hugely um, helpful to all of us Groms at s and I remember him going to a rail jam up in wellington and he like drove the bus the entire way and yeah um yeah very uh influential on the method front too he was very cool and hana doing mm. big ears with hana and there's like scaffolding big ears <clears throat> she'd send back three anything yeah and just kind of ahead of the rest of the girls for a bit there eh? she was yeah she'd won just about everything she went in mm. she was yeah she was incredibly good yeah. And Jamie Bassett was another person at the time who was huge. Um, still to this day, you know, it's like loves snowboarding. Fuck, that guy was dangerous at the trade shows. Oh, he... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's been dangerous for a long time. I don't know, <laughs> wonder if his danger will ever wear off, but he's bloody good value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And super into snowboarding, you know, and I remember seeing a photo of like Jamie doing a backy off a rail. I think it was a K2 ad in a magazine. And that's when I really, certain things like just couldn't quite get my head around in snowboarding and that was one of them. Like how does somebody go off a piece of steel and do a backflip? Was like, that that rail at the first incarnation of Remarks Park? I think so. It was so. like a pole jam, Logan Holt. It was got, definitely at the Remarks, this photo that I remember. Because like that issue of New Zealand Snowboarder is the one with Will doing a linear on the cover. And I think Logan Holtz gets gets a check out and he's doing a backside one melon off that feature. Off it, oh, okay. And then Fee Duncan got a check out busting an India off it as well and shit. It was like huh. a whole, whole lot of crew got the uh, shots on that in that magazine uh-huh. on that feature and shit. Yeah, this shot I'm thinking of of Jamie was a I know K2 the, ad. I think it was shot from below or maybe mm, like quite a long I, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, so it's it beautiful, like, yeah. Same thing, looking at that being like, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, there were just so many dudes ripping at the time. Like Mark Anderson. Mm. Mark and Blair were sort of like well, I remember Mark's checkout and it was back right at Triple Cone or some shit, eh? Yeah, yeah, and that'd be right. That'd be like right. Step up Massive. Oh yeah. Mark would go huge on everything. We had a crazy I remember having some crazy jump sessions with him. Um and Blair was probably a similar time. Like those guys were super close with with Heath as well. And I feel this like is sort of pre Dero, all these guys. Uh, I don't know. The the first that I remember of Dero is Heath 
coming back from Tahoe, I think he did a season with Tim over there, and everything that Heath said was Dero. Oh, oh yeah. Dero. Oh, fuck, it's a bit Dero. Oh, this is Dero. That's Dero. Everything was Dero. Um, that's the first I remember of it, and then that just continued, and um, yeah, lives on to this day. Mm. Um, but yeah, and like Blair actually started helping out with some of the film because Tim Tim got hurt a couple of seasons so he was more behind the camera I think um, but still like Tim was a sick rail rider mm. like amazing like switch 270s and um, really good style like he was a stickler for style and then he got into judging and he was a real stickler for style with that as well mm. and then he was um, on the um, yeah on the tools behind the camera doing the Dero films and then Blair sort of took over some of that side as well. Right, because yeah. I mean, it's, from an outsider looking in, like to me anyway, it looked like for a while there in the late two thousands, the Dero sort of crew sort of steered snowboarding in New Zealand in a certain direction for a few years. Well, that was definitely who, <laughs> who like we is that were like looking at, being like, "Well, that's fucking sick." Yeah, like, yeah. Those, know, I mean, there's obviously all of the. Then, um, obviously, you know, Brown is going to come in the mix here somewhere, but um, going to Utah for seasons, because Heath mm. would go to Utah every winter and was sort of like filming with um, dudes over there, and then Blair was going there every year. Mm. Um, I know that Heath did the season in Tahoe with Tim and Dan. I think Blair was in Tahoe as well, actually. Um, and then everybody would just go over and sort of do stints. Um staying at you know the same apartment block and uh taking things to walmart and oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 90 day thing yeah 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 um and then you know i just yeah. it just sort of kept going and going and going and like everybody just film each other snowboarding mm. um and the shit like it was progressive it was really progressive because mm. the jumps were getting bigger the snow was good the riding was sick like there was antics in between. There were a few <laughs> films that they made. Um, yeah, they were, they were, I mean, they were pretty progressive in the bar as well. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> that was one of the craziest things is like how much bar time went on as well as writing. It never really slowed anybody. Well, I'm sure it did, <laughs> but it didn't seem like it was slow, snowing, slowing anybody down. I guess down. maybe it's that age where it just, you can sort of shake it off shake and it go off. and handle your business afterwards. Yeah. But, but yeah, the Queenstown... Like Rattlesnake must have done a pretty good trade those years, I reckon. Amy Quest Amy was working there. And I think she was like sort of she was saying like the Dero crew were the reason that they were making a case for everything being in like plastic <laughs> instead of glass or some shit. Yeah. It's probably fair. <laughs> yeah. There's a fair bit of ice that got thrown across that bar. Yeah, and well, she was saying like down a down a pint and then just smash the glass on the ground and shit like that. That was going on. Yeah. I think it maybe then yeah I remember somebody it was at one of the Dero premieres they took the whole glass smashing to another level somebody got like a big platter of I don't know one of those like properly big like porcelain like bowls of wedges mm. and smashed that like on the dance floor it was just like a proper like alarms like everybody clear out um, yeah started with glasses ended with chip bowls <laughs> Anyway, chip bowls. <laughs> chip bowls. Chip bowls. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit. Um, 
Carl was also saying, I've got to ask you about a progressive second Japan season. Yep. Yeah, so my first season in Japan, I was a host student, um, and then I came back to Queenstown, and um, like I said, I did my rookie course, rode with Rob heaps, um, rode and skated with Rob, but I had just this dodgy elbow, and I ended up getting my instructor certificate and getting surgery on my elbow. And then um, through so, some... So what happened to the elbow initially? I dislocated it in Japan. Oh, right. But like, it was actually like a public holiday from school um, when I was on my exchange. And I, I'd done like a... I was just stupid. I had no, like nothing to guide me, I guess, at the time. But I remember doing a switchback five and then being like, that felt all right. Maybe I'll try a nine. <laughs> and just went a bit big and put my hand down um, ended up dislocating my elbow and then it just kept coming out it was like something was wrong with it so what had actually happened was is that I'd torn my muscle my triceps muscle and like I don't know the doctors were kind of unsure it was like getting really swollen and then um, one of the doctors was like we should just go to Invercargill and get it checked out mm. so um, I remember going down there and the doctor looking at me for, like the specialist looking at me for about 20 seconds max and just feeling it and going, yep, you've got a five centimeter tear in your triceps muscle, um, you're going to need surgery today or tomorrow. And I was like, what? I've got my exam like in two days time. Uh, I can't have surgery today. I mean, I can't do my exam, which means I can't go to Japan. And he's like, well, if you don't do it in the next couple of days, there's no guarantees that we won't have to, like, pull your, you know, take a tendon from somewhere else. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was down there, and I remember, like, contemplating it. Um, God, what am I going to do? Like, do I roll the dice here or whatever? And he's like, ended up, anyway, ended up saying, like, I need to do this exam. And he's like, okay, I'll give you this thing. So I did my, in this full, like, L cast. So oh, right. in the exam, all of all of my demos I was doing, I had my arm in an L and I was you know, called Teapot Boy or whatever. And then, um, but anyway, that allowed me to go to Japan. Um, some uh, yeah, had some friends there. Um, a couple worked in the park crew and stuff, and um, got a job instructing. And I didn't really have any idea what I was going into, um, but I arrived sort of mid December. Turns out there were like seven people in the instructor's crew and I was the only white dude. Pretty much one of the only white dudes there. Nisako had started to get popular at mm. that point and Rizutsu is only sort of half an hour from there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and my Japanese at that point was all right, but like to teach a lesson in Japanese was kind of tough. So I remember the first week like, you know, learning how to say Benjanese and all, all the yeah. classic sort of things and... Um, there were some really I made some amazing friends there um, but I remember going like six weeks if not more without speaking a word of English you know um, mm. and uh, I would basically just instruct like I lived the apartment building was right at the bottom of the slope I'd instruct during the day from like nine until four then there's like the staff eating house where you could for like 300 yen so like five dollars you could get like a katsu curry or whatever mm. ramen whatever you wanted pretty much scoff that and then i'd ride every night and um that's what i did they had a night park it had like a pipe at the top and then the pipe finished and went into two jumps and the cool thing about it um was that the jumps they made sort of had like hip landings on the side but everybody would just hit them straight mm. so i remember learning like 
so many tricks off the side into fresh powder landings because it would snow pretty much every day yeah. it's like Niseko you know it's yeah. like a very snowy place mm. um, and we just kind of ride the jumps in so it was like progression it was like an airbag but pow um, and I remember that season I made really good friends with this guy Hero and we'd just like ride every night he, he also he actually worked in reception uh, for, the, for the ski school and we would ride every night I'd go to his room and like watch a snowboard film and then we would just wake up repeat it and do it the next day for like three months and then he was going back to Niigata to this place called Okutarami Maruyama which was like the hub for spring for Japan like it was sort of the biggest park and that's where I really progressed because I wasn't instructing in the day and like had a bunch of time and it was like a proper good setup. And it's a lot of time in your boots. A lot of time. Like that season, I rode every single day, bar three. The day to get there, one day sick, and one day to get home. Like just snowboarded every single day and um, basically went from not really being able to. I could do. I think I could do maybe like a switch front five. I'd maybe done a front five or seven to being able to do like at the end of that season I think I did yeah cab nine switch back nine front nine and back five I couldn't even do, couldn't do a back seven but right. um, and just a ton of rail tricks I spent heaps of time on rails too so yeah then I got back to New Zealand and um, that's when I got sponsored by Ride right <clears throat> yep so that season I was gonna um, I was still on option and Flux um, and then um, and Deluxe were like quite that's right <laughs> like so many Japanese riders would ride Flux and Deluxe it was like yeah. the combo they still do actually um, and then um, yeah got on remember my, my Japanese at that point had got way better and um, Cookie from Ulta was sort of looking for for somebody who could speak Japanese and somebody to work in the store so um, Brown and I both got jobs there actually so yeah Roland was there. And this um, was Elta? Yep, Elta. Yeah. yeah, it was... I think the first season was called S&C and then it changed to Elta the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cookie was like, I reckon I can get you on on ride. Head to toe. He's like, I'll call you back later today. Because I was already on Smith, which was part of Sportive, and mm. um, it just made a lot of sense. And I, yeah. And so this was still the era of a lot of Japanese coming to Queenstown? Yeah, place. still a lot of Japanese yeah. coming to Queenstown, yeah. It was sort of like what they every everybody I talked to over there was like, oh, Nuji, Nuji. Yeah. Um, they'd like talk about it like because I'd come here all the time, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, whew, there's a lot to lot to talk about, but um, that was one of the things that was awesome. I had this Mikey LeBlanc board. It was, say, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was Mikey's first pro model and um, rode that thing to death. I've still got it. It's like a board that I haven't been able to part with. Mm. It just it's still there because it was pretty special I think that season you know I went I've won nearly every, every competition I win and I think I think I won the Nationals I won the Billabong Bro Down which was kind of big it was I remember, a big competition to win right at the and time it was, so it was pretty yeah. big yeah I remember um, like uh, Anti Alti was there and mm. um, a few other rippers so that that was kind of big at the time Nationals what else was there I can't remember what it was um but yeah, that was that was a pretty progressive season. And so one. that got Ride's attention <coughs> then. Or were you sponsored yeah. beforehand, before the competitions? Before the competitions, right. yeah. yeah. So I think I'd, 
gathered a bit of footage up which was maybe in there's a film called Next I don't know if you ever saw Next it was like a dude called James Crow put it together right. sick soundtrack yeah. amazing soundtrack um, but I, I don't know I don't even know where that's gone everybody got to choose their own music it was like the Dero movies back in the day everybody could choose their own music it's like oh yeah, oh, yeah you want this song cool just chug it in like um, it's not quite like that anymore unfortunately with music rights so, so yeah I'm sure there's a bunch of details that I've missed but that's and was, ride, was that mainly through sport or did that end up going to an international yep so that was through sport especially for the first couple of years and then um, I linked up with the Japan crew mm. so there'd be quite a few internationals that came through um, then in the years then 2005 I ended up like going to Park City and Jackson Hole Brown and I did a trip to Jackson Hole and stuff and then Coming back, I actually got hurt at the end of 2005, but that was another... Was that the trip with Roebuck? Yes. How oh, was it was that? dream trip. Absolute like... dream trip. So, yeah, I did, yeah, just come from Japan. I just got the biggest... Like, I got a massive culture shock going from New Zealand to Japan. I think I got a bigger culture shock going from Japan to America. Yeah. Like, I remember just getting to the airport, being like... Some, I bought a magazine or something. It was like $4, and they're like, they're like that's four eighty four. Like four eighty four. It's like what? Mm-hmm. Like tax or I don't know. Just like mm-hmm. kind of like just so blown away because in Japan it's like they go through the whole spiel with you and it's like so polite and they're bending over backwards and then mm-hmm. anyway sidetracked. Jackson Hole was after um, we'd just been in Park City and Brown was doing a season in Utah, so we drove um, in a Browner's big truck thing he had at the time to Jackson Hole and met up. We'd never met Robot. Or Crosby Webb was the other dude who was there. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the goal of the trip was just to get photos. It was so sick. And then Brown and I filmed each other. And, um, man, I think that's the closest I've come to getting frostbite. Very, 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 very cold. <clears throat> just trying to... Remember Brown are doing the sick, like, switchback one into a pillow line? Oh, yeah. And so hard just to switch back one into a pillow and he tried it a few times I remember just my fingers like being so close to falling off and a few other moments like that on that trip that but we went to some really really famous um, spots that were in a lot of the grenade movies and stuff oh yeah and we actually hit this one cliff and Shane Flood was there and he did like a he did a cab five Taipan off this one cliff like right beside us Taipan sort of like front hand between like from in front of your front leg through the legs touching your oh my your, god that's some yoga shit yeah touching your toe edge Christ but at the time you know like I don't know that Shane Flood was pretty influential he was actually on Ride as well Ride and Grenade Dude um, a few other legends that we saw I remember Browner we hopped into the because Browner was riding for Oakley was he riding for Oakley we had some Oakley goggles and he had um, some Oakley outerwear as well and somebody, somebody in the in the gondola was like, tapped. Um, I think Robot, and was like, "Hey, guess what? That's Travis Rice." Travis <laughs> 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 Browner. So you must. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, speaking of Browner, you've done a bit of road miles with that guy, huh? Done lots of road miles with Browner. Mm. Yep. Still. Um, Yep, he's Olive, my daughter's grandfather, um, so we're still close. He's actually, I lived with, I'd never met or even heard of Browner until Carl was reporting in from Utah, essentially, like, this dude is fucking killing it. Right. And then Browner put up a thing on, 
maybe Facebook or something and um, Duffy was like well and we we're just moving into a, a new house in Queenstown he's like would you you should live with us because he was like I'm gonna what either Wanaka or Queenstown and Duffy was like you should move in with us and he thought it'd be good for us to like ride together mm. so we ended up sharing a room um, and snowboarding every day together from then onwards mm. <laughs> don't even forget the first time any anyone of any of us heard of them was that sequence in New Zealand snowboarder frontside nine. I was it's there. Like, that's yeah. his introduction is a fucking frontside <laughs> nine in like 2004. Like holy shit! And it was done well. Like everything mm. Brown does is done well, and he went huge. Um, yeah, that was that was massive. I remember Phil Erickson absolutely losing it, um, mm. getting very excited about that sequence. That well, was powerful snowboarder, eh? I mean, fuck, like back 10's pyramid gap like Roland talks about that there's like, like yeah I don't, I don't know if he attended at the time I don't think they had mm. they definitely hadn't like when those guys built it like yeah I don't know if, if you've heard the story before about them like mistaking what the takeoff was it was actually mm. somebody who was like scares who had built a jump to land back in the landing which they used as a takeoff not even to go over the gap yeah and they built it up and uh, were going like 100k into it so they just kept building block on top of block on top of block on top of block and I'm so glad I wasn't there. That thing looks so scary. Yeah. I mean, that, that like, video to watch, their first attempts where they literally fall out of the sky oh and disappear. God. You're like, thank fuck that's Utah Snow that there. Like disappearing. Nuts. <laughs> Nuts. But yeah, that back 10 was huge. Mm. And the footage of Browner hitting that thing, like the raw footage is sick as well. Like he was trying switch backside spins. He was trying front side spins. Double wild. <coughs> time, I think, I think he did double wild as well. It was yeah. either that time or the time before. I can't mm. remember. It might've been that time actually. You might be right. Mm. Um, yeah, loose, but, um, but so many sessions. Mm, I think Browner. my favorite picture I've ever seen of him was uh, Mount Baker Road Gap. Oh. Is, it a, is it a backside one? He backside rodeoed it. He backside rodeoed it. Yeah. Because there was this picture in his interview, it's shot from below. Ah. Uh-huh. he's got the Jeremy Jones Burton board. Uh-huh. And I just thought it was like the raddest like late back one. <laughs> I was like, please be that a late back one. It's so fucking sick. <laughs> it uh, may have been. It may have mm. been. It could have. He, like every, pretty much every jump that I've hit with Browner, he guinea picked it. Like, I can't, I can probably count on my, yeah, definitely less than one hand the now of jumps that I've been first. And, like, Brown and guinea pigs, everything. He's just, he understands, he just understands how stuff works. Like, angles, you know, he just knows mm. if something's going to work or not. He can sort of judge speed pretty well. He just sort of understands jumps. He's, like, the ultimate jump builder. Mm. And um, is, is he kind of the guy where it's, like, his idea of big's a bit different than everyone else's idea of oh I don't think I've ever built a jump with like we'll build a jump I'd be like yeah it looks pretty good and he's like nah another row another row of blocks <laughs> and um it's just it kind of like he wants to go big but he sort of just knows what's going to work and what's not going to work mm. like the amount of times I've been like oh this could work and then he comes over within like a split second he's thought of something that'll make it work so much better mm. um or I'm just trying to you know do something slightly smaller maybe <laughs> <laughs> um and, um and by the looks of the Dero videos, he is quite keen on this, some firework uh, antics and shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brown has done everything. He mm. used to, yeah. It, um, he's got snowmobile stories, truck stories, firework stories. 
I don't know where to start. He's... <laughs> I think I just see one clip at the end of Bottomless Pockets where someone <laughs> was staying in a, a caravan or something and it's like a mm-hmm. grenade scene in the move, war movie. It's like, open the door up, bang, and then you just hear the fucking bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't remember who was in there. There's another <clears throat> one. I can't remember who was in there. It might have been like... Mm. I think it was Rob and Browner I sort of got this impression in my mind that they had smirks on their faces mm. getting up to some trouble together they lived together that year I remember oh. <laughs> yeah I remember yeah mm. speaking of which um, another Carl moment here thank you Carl <laughs> um, Browner's got all these covers and you didn't get any covers oh. <laughs> well he forgot about Uno oh right <laughs> <laughs> which is like the one cover that i've ever got is um it's like a local i don't know i've d- i don't know if it still exists but it's like a local towering magazine um so yes no i've never had a cover not come close and brown has had <laughs> so many <laughs> that's because browner just goes huge and looks good whatever he does you know i was more interested in trying to just do something weird or like small <laughs> when Carl was saying like yeah Brown what what was the, me- the message you sent me was something like yeah Brown used to just shit them out he'd pull the magazine out of the rapid, <laughs> grunt and then put it aside and go back to what he was doing <laughs> <laughs> oh he and Rob I, I think Rob got a cover as well <clears throat> they had these like um colourful vests that they'd wear oh yeah you remember those yeah uh, the RPM made them or something. Yeah, like, I yeah. don't know if RPM made... I think RPM may have made them, but um, they were to, like, brighten up their outerwear to, oh, right. to make them stand out in the back country. And there was, like, yeah, three or four of those covers in a row. Mm. Um, good stuff. Just, like, Brown was just so good at finding good jump spots and just doing gnarly tricks on them and always making them look good, you know? Like, I remember looking up to <clears throat> some of the other dudes who do really nice stylish tricks but it might be like a 360 or a 5 or something and Browner was like making stuff look good but doing 7s and 9s you know yeah. or 10s yeah. um, and he was so you know and he was just always it would never go small it, and he would never like he did very rarely like for me sometimes I'd be like okay I want to get this trick today and I just keep trying that trick until I got it how I wanted it Browner's mm-hmm. like cab seven switchback seven front nine back rodeo like there's no rhyme or reason he just sort of like does a little bit of everything Mm. um because he's like oh i'll probably get one of them and and like usually i'm so terrified or i'm just absolutely um you know exhausted and he would just carry on because he'd just be desperate to get more shots Mm. and you guys made a film one year right for the red bull competition yeah ride to real that's right yeah yep we did yeah and we did um we did sort of a piss take on each other mm. like uh say oh browner you know it's, yeah it's not that good and <laughs> browner would you know give me assholes or whatever that was the whole theme of the video we did i remember we built a jump up at treble cone <clears throat> and did like a follow cam i remember following browner into it and um he did a back seven or something <laughs> and like we just built this jump like done a full follow cam running and everything and then landed on the and it was just like sheet ice just like cut oh, like no. rock hard yeah. uh, and i can't remember what else we put in there as well it'd be 
hilarious to see that again. I remember some cool stuff got done during mm. that year. Like Mark Anderson hit one of the ski club rails and... Um, was um, Tim Jackways and Jackways. John Crystal hit one. Yep. So a friend of mine... They did some cool stuff. A friend of mine, Steve, won that one that year. Steve Graham and Sam Nelson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they called theirs The Making Of or something. Oh, awesome. I, yeah. I honestly... My... My memory's a little hazy, even of our, of our one, but I do remember some really, really unique stuff coming out of that. Mm. It's interesting now, because, like, Remarks Parks back then was such a force to be reckoned with. Totally. Like, um, like even, like, coming from Wanaka, where you got, at the time, you had Snow Park and Kadrona, both doing pretty good things. We'd come over to Remarks and be like, whoa, fuck, these guys have got some shit going on here. Like, yeah, I mean, it's... It was awesome. I mean, the the jumps, the remarks, they just had those... I mean, they still got them, the two terraces of the big jumps. Um, they said that, used to have a few more like international competitions up there, you know, like they had mm. winter games, um, the nationals was run up there. Um, That's right, because they've still got the earthquakes <coughs> for the super pipe there. True, yes, mm. yes. Yep, they had the pipe. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, th- those are some glory days. We just got to know that park so well like every competition mm. it just I <clears throat> like you could just about you, you just knew the speed you knew mm. the jumps um, and they were just where we progressed yeah like they, they had that whole park life team park life and yep. they'd build the team whatever they wanted and shit and... that was awesome so yeah it was quite funny um, so park life I think may have come about in about mm, 2004 and I don't think I was on the original team. 2003, maybe. And then Roland, but Roland was on it. And Roland went away. He, like, spent the season in Europe. Mm. So I ended up getting his spot on Park oh. Life. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Roland. Yeah, thank you, Roland, for that one. Um, and then ended up rolling with it for, like, you know, four or five years until it um, its ultimate demise, I guess. Yeah, fuck. Well, it was just, it was a trip that it's... Again, it was kind of like Snow Park too. It was like, oh, that's going to be around forever. Like, why wouldn't it be? And then it's like, one day it's like, fucking what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's just changed because the top level is so much more elite now. Like, the, <clears throat> there was no snow sports. For, you know, snow sports didn't really... It was sort of just like around that sort of like 2005 to 2008. Mm. Snow sports was around, but it was a lot smaller. Like, slope style wasn't even in the Olympics. You know, yeah. so it was... And then... Um, snow park started doing its thing Kedrona started doing its thing snow sports grew you know the whole Olympic thing came around and there's sort of these more focused training facilities at Kedrona and it's snow park pretty hard to keep up once you go to that level isn't it yeah and then it's sort of like there's you know you've only got a couple of dudes maybe hitting the you know the super pipe mm. what you don't need you don't need a super pipe for three dudes yeah, yeah. Um, you might as well just have it in one spot and have those seven people go to that one place to hit it you know it's only how much they cost to make these days too it's, it's crazy. A, a disturbing amount of money yeah yeah because yeah. Yeah, it's was, it was been a trip going back watching say these old Dero videos like all yeah, these yeah. parts and just seeing the difference in the part to then yeah so, mm. yeah well, I think one of the cool things that the remarks done is they've really just sort of expanded like the the medium and the learners parks mm. you know because the learners park there like it was funny remember snow park there were like no punters for lack of a better word yeah, you know? yeah. like everybody was there sort of like could snowboard and stuff where 
Um, um, all seasoners or sponsored people. Like totally. Yeah. Well, you know, like the Remarkables, there's a lot of people there you forget, but everybody has to start somewhere. Like they've mm. got to ride their first box. If they've gone on a, come on a ski holiday from the city, whether it's like Sydney, Auckland, Brisbane, mm. whatever, they're just going to froth on like the small stuff, you know. So it's quite, if they've got the focus on the small stuff, it kind of works. I've had some rad fucking times over there in the last couple of years when, and I don't really ride park now, but like some of the shit that they did where it was like they'd, they'd make like a snake run uh-huh. into the beginner park. So fun. And then, and then I'd just be sessioning that to that barrel fucking feature mm-hmm. all day. It's like, oh, this is just fucking great. They're pretty creative mm. up there. Mm. Like Brian and the crew and Fran and everybody, like they've, they know what they're doing. Mm. Like they know how to build really fun medium features. I mean, it's definitely something that you <clears throat> need in the park is a progressive pathway because mm. like, I mean, you, not everybody wants to do big spins over big jumps mm. all the time. Yeah. Even the best dudes who that's what they got there and do, they don't want to ride that stuff all day yeah <laughs> so it's pretty crucial to have sort of a bit of progression through your park for mm. sure because it's the same with the free riding there too eh because there's a really good progression start out <clears throat> just going off the side by Kirby Basin there mm-hmm. getting a couple couple of turns to homeward bound and then before you know it you fucking have a wee walk up late shoots and you're in way the fuck over your head <laughs> you know like there's there's some pretty there's good progression there definitely and a lot of options mm that come out onto Lake Alto, like there's the backcountry at the Remarkables is it's something else. Mm. It's like so many options. Mm. And this year actually was a really good year for free ride. Like yeah. Roly fucking scored a lot. Roly scored a lot. Yeah. A couple of skiers like um, Blake was crushing it. Even mm. like Janina came over quite a bit. Um, yeah, and Tom from Snowboard Workshop. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he fucking Tom Beatson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Like you bet your ass, he's like in there somewhere getting it. Oh, he's Hella up there, yeah, for and, sure. But man, Split like, board king. Uh, you know, if you've ever had like Homeward Bound in front of you untracked, <laughs> like, fuck, oh. that's like the best thing ever, eh? Incredible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a lot of good options up there for free ride for sure. Mm. Talking about free riding, I think we'll bring up our um, one of your road dogs, our famous lavender farmer, Steph Zestratton. Yeah, Steph. Done a bit of time with that dude. Done, yeah, qu- quite a bit of time with Steph, actually. He was actually in Queenstown 2003. That's where I first met him. And he was, I think he was instructing that season as well, actually. Oh, yeah? But he'd maybe done his avalanche course or something. And, um, yes, yeah, so I sort of got to know him there. And we, we shredded together maybe a little bit. And then the following year, um, he went, did he go to Park City that year? But anyway, we just ended up like competing together and um, riding all the time. And he was actually living either with Carl or next door to Carl in Park City. Oh, right. And he was instructing over there and he was um, absolutely ripping the park. Mm. And um, he was always keen to snowboard. Like Steph's one of those dudes who just frosts. He'll get up there early and snowboard till late. Mm. And that's what I loved. I was like, nothing more annoying than going up to ride for the day and somebody wants to go home at one o'clock you know like yeah. i want to snowboard get better like that's yeah. why we're here and steph was a fantastic person for that because he's just always keen to progress mm. and yeah he was he was probably keener on the big jumps than i was but he was always mm. keen on rails as well so um yeah we we traveled heaps together actually and we went mm. to quite a few different competitions and i remember um 
one funny moment with Steph was when we did the um, the Winter Games, the very first year. I think it was two thousand nine. Oh. Had a sketchy big year at Coronet, and um, oh man, it was absolute death. But basically, they ran the event. I think they gave us one run before they were like, "This is too dangerous," and then it clouded in. And then they did a prize giving. I remember talking, and then. John Key turned up for the prize giving and Steph had won and I came third I think and just stupidly we were just yarning we are like that'd be quite funny to just like instead of shaking John Key's hand just like give him a big like you know slap down and hug <laughs> and then there's a photo in the there's a photo in the um, in the mountain scene of like me hugging John Key and, <laughs> and Steph did as well <laughs> And it's the caption, because it was sponsored by 100% Pure New Zealand, mm. the caption was 100% Pure Man Love. <laughs> <laughs> and Steph and I just were like, just one of those stupid things we did. And like one of the first photos, I think it looks like I'm going in for a hongi. Um, but yeah, that was a good story. Um, but yeah, plenty of stories with Steph. Um, another one is when we went, um, yeah, we... We went to Calgary together, actually. So it was, remember, it was um, Browner, Steph, and I um, all went to Calgary for a fist World Cup. <clears throat> and um, I think Browner came second, Steph came third, I came fourth. So we all won prize money. Then, like, mm. all just, you know, went out and got these, like, slushy gin and tonics out on the town in Calgary. Loose time. Mm. Another time, I remember... Um, Calgary can be quite wild. If Calgary you've had a couple was wild. Of on like, really, really wild. Yeah. There's this one bar that was um, like a converted bowling alley. And it was like a university bar. I can't remember oh, the name right. of it. But one of the places was called Joey Tomatoes. This other place was just loose. And then Jake arrived and we did the Canadian Open. Mm. And that was actually... So the Canadian Open was like... the and that fist competition were like the first competitions that Mark McMorris had sort of been made known in and Starley so it was like when they had just come onto the scene and I don't think Mark McMorris lost the competition you know he still has barely lost any not Mm. podiumed in any competition since and that was 2010 I think Mm. yeah yeah he was like 16 or something um, and that was sort of when but it was awesome like we got to go to um, up to Banff and um, oh. yeah some time in Europe with Steph oh, and he's come on so many diaries trips yeah, yeah. and he's always like he's because he's, he's just got so much knowledge of like um, like avalanche he's a bit of a backcountry yeah guru now. super I mean he's super a helpful. crack up when he comes by the shop up the mountain he's like oh yeah I'm feeling pretty old I'm just taking it easy today what were you doing oh, I was just uh, warming up on the big air jump Still, what? Still, still doing ten eighties at seven in the morning, eh? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, just taking it easy. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely sends. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's he's always been really fun to ride because he's just always keen to to keep going, you know. Mm. So you were pretty involved a little bit with New Zealand Snowboard Media, right? You were writing bits for New Zealand Snowboarder, and yeah, how, how did uh, hindsight come about? hindsight came about dill i think just hit me up like back in the day i remember writing an article about the best and worst thing about uh snowboarding around the world is travel Mm -hmm. and i just wrote this article about travel and um 
pros and cons and um, maybe there's another one actually about um competitions mm. like how to i don't know competitions and just sort of like a little bit of a cynical piece bit of a piss take you know mm. um and then um i just remember talking to dylan i was like um i could do this regularly if you like and he's like that'd be sick and um hindsight is the name mm. and then I, I think i wrote a hindsight for every issue until um till the last issue mm. All right. yeah so it was always fun to come up with stuff and because I, I liked one about traveling i remember that one pretty yeah. well because i experienced a similar uh-huh. shit like i think you talked about the greyhounds like oh <laughs> i remember that like that was terrible oh, man that greyhound one jail on wheels i think that one was titled yeah um yeah there's certain experiences eh, that just you feel like you have to write about i wrote another one like i, I just do little you know, just sort of like spice up things you do i remember like one day uh being in the seco and somebody saying do you want to hike the peak and mm. i was like yep but at the time i was just so like progression focused i was like well i know what it's gonna we're just gonna wake up we're gonna hike to the top and we're gonna snowball down it's gonna be fun i was like that's cool but how can we make a difference so i remember like putting my bindings on the other way like goofy and writing an article about it just, just like an experiment you know I and have something to, to write ask about you about that article did, did you commit to a whole season writing your bindings i committed around? to that one run all oh, right and then i never put my bindings back the other way so I, yes i committed to that other way from then which was probably like it must have been in february mm. um and then i ended up keeping my bindings that way and they actually had an airbag at the bottom of harafu i remember hitting it a couple of times and having my bindings around goofy and then like i don't know trying a ro- switch rodeo goofy rodeo i guess and like a double backy and stuff and then like taking those tricks to to america when i went to america in spring um and kept my bindings that way for for a good part of it mm. um i think until the end of the season because was it a friend of yours that was already committed to riding like that or something for the season uh i know that um there was like a good friend of mine in Rizutsu, my friend hero he he was goofy and i remember swapping boards with him for a bit mm. and that's when i remember thinking when i've got my bindings this way around i kind of feel goofy mm. like riding regular feels switch have you done it before no no I, i've never had the balls to actually commit because it's I, weird i seem to struggle with normal <laughs> enough now <laughs> well it's quite it's quite bizarre i don't know at the time like i remember going to a park in japan and being like i'm doing mute challenge and i just wanted to learn all the spins with mutes because i you know mm. never grabbed a mute or whatever i was just always trying to think of like something different and that was just one that sort of stuck with me is like riding your board switch if you set up your bindings that way it kind of feels goofy like front side, for real front side spins become cab spins or something like that right yeah 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 it's um it's quite crazy like even i think next even just visualize you have to do it for a day it's worth just doing to... because it just sort of turns a normal day into something a wee bit different you know mm. like it's different if like you only get a couple of days to ride a season you kind of don't want to waste even a single run yeah um but at the time, I was snowboarding a lot, you know. Mm. So I was like, well, cool. What's the worst that can happen? Shit, even skating to lift would be kind of weird, eh? It's different, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's um, it's definitely weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But you'll be surprised. You'll be kind of shocked at how quickly it feels quite normal. Yeah. Um, and it's quite cool, like, just thinking about how you bend your knees and 
and just other little bits and pieces and things that make you because obviously skating and snowboarding when you do a trick regular and you do a trick switch it's sort of you know well skating way more than snowboarding it's but profoundly different when you it, skate it looks you know? different you know mm. like you can look at somebody and go switch heel flip it's not mm. you know in the regular heel flip um and yeah but in snowboarding i don't know it's um that was really fun season and i mean it was super hard to commit to there's one remember roland and i were in washington we'd gone up um to the to mount baker with roebuck and we built this one cutout and it was pretty gnarly like running mm. and i remember roland being like you're gonna turn around and I'm like, oh, i don't know and like roland, roland got kind of annoyed because i fell off the running you oh, know yeah. and like crushed the whole freaking thing and it's like oh i had to build it back up and you know it took five minutes and it was like so hard to commit to actually just going for it but it kind of worked out um got a photo somewhere of doing a a goofy backside rodeo <laughs> sweet no I mean fuck I've just been struggling with normal snowboarding yeah. like oh I can't fucking throw more things in the mix yeah I don't know it's quite cool like and just learning to ride like mm. I'd always because I did a bit of coaching and stuff or just try and like fill the like that progressive season in Japan whenever I'd come to the bottom of the lift there was like a little bit of the run that was sort of like dead space you know you sort of had mm. You had a little bit of speed, but you couldn't really do anything. So I made it my goal every night to, like, do a different butter. I couldn't do the same butter twice, you know? Mm. I don't know. I just always set myself little challenges like that. And, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, I was just... And then if you can write an article about it, fantastic, right? Mm. It's interesting what you're saying with, like, the switch with skating and switch with snowboarding. It's for a long time, every season, someone in the staff, I'd have to explain what the difference, <laughs> being a skateboarder, uh-huh. is you kind of know where I'm going with this one like what's the difference between a half cab and a switch 180 uh-huh. and I just gave up after a while like, <laughs> just you know what if you want to if you want to answer the question learn to skateboard it'll fucking tell you right away yeah right. <clears throat> yeah calling a fake ollie a switch nolly or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then there are a couple of other articles I mean writing for manual and oh yeah yeah man I see a manual was one of my favourites had everything I liked eh? like skateboarding snowboarding music and always beautiful design and um, yeah. Mm. yeah, just done well. Mm. Um, so with, you know, magazines sort of ended as, essentially, mm. um, did you have a bit to do with online, something like Robbie Hollis was starting to do um, mm-hmm. com and yep. were you involved with any of that? Yeah, of so I guess it was about, I don't know if, it, like, it wasn't the end of print, but it was mm. definitely when... Or maybe a changing of print is probably a better way. To changing of print was about when um, the internet got fast enough to watch videos online. You mm. know, it was when YouTube was sort of starting to come up. Transworld had their website cranking, um, and Rebet created NZSnowboard.com, which was sort of mm. like a platform that was exactly what New Zealand needed at the time, like mm. a central hub. There was another one before that. Was it Tim Pierce? NZ board? N- no, no. And then there was there was snowboard.com. Was snowboard.com was which classic. Was international, yeah. That was I remember um Oh man, that was classic. Mm. You'd like build a MySpace profile. It was before MySpace, eh? Mm. And like build a profile kind of thing. Um now there's another one I, I can't remember what it was, but but Rebet helped with it for a little bit. Um and then he just decided to do his own thing. Mm. Um Oh, it's killing me the name of it. Anyway. Um, so Rebet did that and then he started sort of um, 
so it was a good platform because I remember like writing blogs and stuff for that. It was sort of like the era of the blogs slash yeah. video. Um, and then we did. I'm trying to think what it's year that was. It's easy to forget that he actually had quite a bit to do with snowboarding in New Zealand. Oh, he, totally. You know, sponsored. He was actually legit sponsored right. Rebecca was like one of the you know definitely one of the more talented snowboarders in New Zealand. Like mm. he was, if he'd carried on, I'm sure it would have been insane. Mm. But he had other priorities, you know. So yeah, um, he was super talented. Like had everything he did, he had sort of like spring in his legs. Yeah, you know, he had heaps of pot. Mm. Um, and but anyway, he did nzsnowboard.com, um, and he did a few. One show that um, so Tim Pierce and I did a show for a bit called Newsweek. All oh, right, um, which was two thousand nine, I think. But that was pretty funny. So I hosted it. Tim filmed it, and we just put out this thing every week of sort of like happenings around the place. Um, then there was another one that Rebecca did called MDTV. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. So that was the I think that was two thousand seven, and at the time, Bugs Ben Ryan um, and I were doing a one for Method at the same time called. Um, I think we just called it Method TV, and it was a full snowpark series, oh. and we did like one a week. Um, and um, MDTV, they covered is, like the rail jam and stuff. Is MDTV still? You can find it on YouTube because there's, there's there's one where they do a day in life of the Kadrona Park crew. Oh yeah, when yeah, Tony yeah. Corelli was running the park. Uh huh. And it's pretty crack up to see see that now. For and, sure, yeah. like totally different boxes era, and eh? wide stances. <laughs> what stance is about that time yeah. 2000 that was big stance stuff mm. 2004 people mm. were t-bolting their boards I remember Carl t-bolting his board fuck yeah yeah did you which, which was like did a, you ever t-bolt no um see like you know t-bolts was like the early 90s too right was um, it like the first wave of jibbing oh like, yeah yeah so this is like roadkill rank quit uh-huh Roach, that's probably that's kind of i would have been quite young yeah and so like 93 ish mm-hmm. and i heard about it but when i got my brand new board yeah that, that burton <laughs> twin there's no fucking way i was drilling a hole quite gnarly yeah people did it all the time like a 25 26 inch stance the likes of like steve fergs and mark katzberg mm. those dudes really embraced it dutty he was into it i remember the first time do you did you even know taught that worked at snow park uh-huh Bumped into, I didn't know her, but mutual friends bumped into her, them at Remarks, and she was there. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't stop staring at the T bolts at the bottom of her board. Like, how <laughs> like, why does that start? Wow. Like, Wonder, she used to have that ride kink that was like mm. see through. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a good board. But there were a few dudes, like a couple of the dudes um, I remember being in Utah with, like Nick Rochester and mm. JP and those dudes. Maybe not JP as much, but yeah, like properly wide stances. Mm. Um, anyway, we digress. Then, <laughs> as we do in this podcast. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of like when that kicked off, um, it was great. It was like the spot, you know, mm. like it was before Facebook, kind of before MySpace. I'd, well, nobody yeah. was like going to MySpace to check. Like, Facebook was only a thing to put photos on. It wasn't anything more than that. At that yeah. Time. Well, at the time, like it wasn't stuff. Wasn't really. F- you know, now you just like go into your app and it's fed to you. Mm. Where back then, you sort of still had to like type in TW Snow or type mm. in um, nzsnowboard.com. Yeah. Um, and you have a bookmark, you know. Mm. Um, 
but it was great. It gave everybody a platform to show what they're doing and they did some cool stuff it's like MDTV Snowdice was another one that was there so, so what was Snowdice so Snowdice was one where like you get I don't know there were like four dice mm. and you throw the dice down and um, one's front that says like front side back side or no spin another one's um, 180 all the way up to well I think there was like rail dice and jump dice maybe um, and then a grab um, or a spin like spin in spin out and then a rail slide so it might be like front side 180 nose press back side 180 out or something you know right yeah um, so that was a pretty cool one that was done as well um, hmm. and then I can't remember when that all ended no um, uh, might yeah, have been actually, like sort of 2013-ish or something yeah or 12, 13 something maybe. around there right? yeah I can't remember. I honestly can't remember. Because he, he's gone on to do some pretty biggish things from what I like, tell. Like, yeah, totally. He's so, Well, his family, I think he's living um, in America. Like his family somewhere. over there, yeah. yeah. I'm going to segue a little bit. So I'm on the, there's a couple of urban jibs in New Zealand I wanted to ask you about. Yep. Uh, first one is this rail and three degrees. That the now, three degrees rail. That's The three degrees rail. So that was a street rail. It's pretty classic, man. That three degrees footage would be so funny to dig up. So that was another one conjured up by Heath and myself. I think Heath had found these rails. Um, and I remember him taking them, me to them. Um, there was like four kind of ten stairs in a row. And he's like, we could hit these, we could hit these. I was like, well, okay, sweet. Um, we just need some snow. He's like, use one as the, the run-in and then, you know, hit the rail. Um, and I don't know, it was a classic sort of like struggling for speed. So... Ben Ruffle and Josh Wallace were the filmers there. Um, and Heath and I, I can't remember who else was there, but I remember doing a couple of things. Like a, it was, um, for me, it was regular front side. So I, I think I maybe like, I can't remember, but front side boards. Heath was trying to hit two rails in a row. All right. I wasn't interested in that. I just wanted to get a hard trick on the one rail. And, um, so I tried, I think I did switchboard slide and I was like, okay, time for a switch backside lip slide. And I did this switch backside lip slide. And as I came out of it, I, uh, clipped or like slid out and, um, dislocated my finger oh. and there's footage of my finger and it's like one level and the fingers like hanging sort of below it. Oh yeah. Um, and then Josh Wallace, I think actually was like. Um, oh and Hutchie was there at the time photographer mm. and he, like just sort of pulling it and then it's like in the film and I'm just like sort of grimacing and they just like pull my finger and get it back into place and um, I'm just like this like waving my hand in front of the camera um, and then it was my middle finger I think so I think I showed that to the camera um, and it was right before I was meant to go to Japan. And oh, I was so like, there was something about you saying your mum was going to kill you or something? Yeah mum was here, like because I was, I was meant to go on my exchange like a month a couple of weeks later or something i thought i'd I'd fucked up i thought it's like oh my Mm. god like i can't go on this trip what am i gonna do and like just one just one of those stupid things that yeah flies out of your mouth um she didn't kill me um (laughs) thanks mum (laughs) but the funny thing is like it just we called it fats dom i remember rob calling it fats dom for years because it was like this big fat knuckle that i had it's still actually a wee bit fatter than the other one but i remember being in japan and near the end of my three-month stay, 
sort of just playing with it and feeling like a little bit of a dunk in it and then moved it again i was like oh that feels better so i think <laughs> i think it like had been Maybe sort of semi out of place for like it corrected itself for, a little bit for three months or so and <laughs> after that it wasn't quite so fat's dommy but um <laughs> yeah that was a yarn and honestly so many people that that film played at the cd shop in o'connell's mall for like 10 years three degrees right. so that was that probably came out in 2003 is the three degrees one that starts off with digs skating and he snaps his board and he's like three degrees of separation or some shit. yep yep that'd be That's right yeah. that'd be right and there's like there's a bunch of stuff there's a dude who rides a trolley down ballarat street like <laughs> unbelievably <laughs> loose to some drunk canadian dude <laughs> Well, this was kind of the era of jackass shit too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. About that time. Yep. Yeah. Quinton, they had some, like, Quinton hit a jump up at Tudor. I remember that. Heath hit some stuff up there. Um, yeah, there's just, like, a full New Zealand snow film, I guess. Mm. All filmed on maybe, like, 16 mil. Right. Because it was at that time, it did seem to be, like, quite a lot of New Zealand snowboard film crews, like... There was the three degrees dudes. There mm-hmm. was the um, and low key dudes that did mm-hmm. insurrection and shit. Yep. There was this, was that Sam Britton dude was making films. Yep. So Sam um, Sam was sort of doing stuff with Josh and Ben. Right. Yeah. So he always had crazy like he before GoPros he put like a, a handy cam I think it was and maybe a, a wide lens on the tip of a snowboard. Mm. Um, yeah. It was pretty. <laughs> I remember the best trick I've ever seen him do, the poor bastard, was uh, he, he rode in a white one piece. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just yeah, watch yeah. him at Snow Park walk through the car park in springtime where it's all muddy. Oh. Just, like, so light. <laughs> Getting coated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a cool time. Mm. And, it, like, so nobody remembers, like, well, every I got hit up so many times about my finger. Like, oh. You broke your finger. Oh, you broke your finger. Oh, your finger. Yeah. Finger. I was just like, everybody talking about the finger, didn't think of anything else. Was that because it was playing in the Connells for 10 years? Well, fucking finger, <laughs> yeah, but like, I guess it was like the main, it was like one of the biggest snowboard films at the time. That sort of like, you know, like um, those low-key films are more like core, like urban, you know, kind of mm. what we would watch and think was rad like mm. core rad you know mm. um like the crew in those low keys was fucking heavy like oh, yeah it like Ferg's Russell Ferg. Mitchell Katzberg yeah all the dope dudes TJ yeah yeah and um Three Degrees was like all the dope dudes but it just went out a little bit wider you know mm. um which was cool because you know lots of people got to see so it also gave like snowboarding. you guys as up and comers a bit of a platform to get recognised a bit more for sure yeah I mean well. um I just tacked on to what Heath was doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, which was cool. Mm. And, um, yeah. Um, the other urban feature I want to ask about is, did you, were you there when the Arrowtown Rail by the skate park got sessioned? Oh, the big, the, the big, big, like, 30-something the stair. The big bastard. I didn't. I wasn't oh, there. No. Um, but I do remember it. Um, I remember, um, I remember a photo of Leon Eru. Full shirt off MFN. Shirt off. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what trick he was doing, um, but it was a, it was a it was a still image in a magazine. Mm. Eh? And then um, there's also um, I'm pretty sure Ferret hit it. 
And um, fuck, he he took down some pretty. Ferret was rails. an amazing rail rider. Like that front board, the old Coronet base building, and you had those rails that came under the fucking, that came off the slope and under the deck. Yes. And yes. he did a like front board through there. Yeah. And it's still like, there's fucking dink donks. Oh, you got to duck down. Yeah, yeah, I remember you had to duck down. That one was gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It was fucking sick. I. Oh, I can't remember. I think Jeremy Thorns may have hit it as well. Oh, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it was big and it just like, it had splinter written all over it. Yeah, because yeah. it was like, you wouldn't want to go sideways on it. I'm pretty sure f- those guys did go sideways on it though. Yeah, that Leon definitely did. I remember it was it was like a dragon ad or some shit. Mm. Yeah, it sounds um, about right. And he was just full like shoot off. Like reminded me of MFM. Just mm-hmm. like, just and just fucking... <laughs> and because I still th- like when I walk past the skate park at Aratown, I still like think of that image when I see that rail. And it's, yeah, it's changed a bit now. Well, they've cut it mm. so it's, um, so that you can take a right and walk down the path. Mm-hmm. But, Who's going to step to the gap? <laughs> are you listening, Gromit? <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be good at everything else in this snowboard, <laughs> surely. But um, and if, while we're talking about Arrowtown, can you and one of my favourite pictures I've seen of you, like on an urban feature, was the uh, hedge on the way to the Arrowtown Bakery. The hedge, well, yeah. What's the, the story behind that? Oh, so we actually went to hit the Arrowtown rail. I think there was there was a kink, and there's obviously the main rail, um, and then there's actually another kink that got put in. Oh, yeah. I remember being like, oh, I don't know if there's enough snow or like oh we'll just sort of warm into it type thing and i think i just didn't really want to hit the kink and i was there with jordan at the time jordan rear jordan the mormon um who is somebody who i met in america and came back for a season and um we we had this really really badly built drop and ramp and um there's a hedge so there's the hedge that sort of like it sort of goes down from sort of where the bakery is down, um, I think it's called Marshall Park or something. Mm. And it goes down, it's kind of long, and then it flattens out. And you sort of end up at the gift shop on the next tier down. Be like, oh, let's just take the mallow option. Mm. We'll, we'll just try this hedge. And it had snow on the top of it, like a little bit of snow. And I remember dropping in, like getting a couple, like I was like, man, we've only got like one or two goes at this thing. And as soon as you hop on it, it's like a wobbly piece. Like it was bad mm. news. And it ended in a couple of pretty heavy slams actually. Cause it was like just asking for an edge catch. So yeah. what we thought was going to be a mallow feature was actually something that was pretty heavy or a bit of consequence, you know? Mm. And then like the drop in ramp kind of broke. And I remember being like, okay, this is the last chance. And then I remember getting on back 50 and riding down it and then there's like a, a sign at the bottom like mm. i don't know a no dog sign or don't litter yeah. or something sign and then just popping off before that before the bin um and vaughan got a photo still one of my favorite photos to this day yeah um it was in a manual magazine i think mm. um and it's cool because every time i go to Arrowtown now i see that hedge and i remember at the time like thinking oh, oh this hedge like um Every, like and I remember thinking of other hedges that I could hit and like just getting obsessed with hedge boarding like oh we've done this like man everybody's going to get so into hedge riding like thinking about the um, hedge revolution the hedge revolution and I remember thinking about this one at my school in Japan I was like they get snow I remember the hedge that goes down the, 
the double set of stairs it's a double kink you could do the hedge there like <laughs> and just thinking of all these hedges um, double kink hedge but still to this day I've still never seen another hedge ride mm. like I, I, I think it's it's uncharted territories like surely there's some hedges somewhere that somebody wants to shred but yeah they're, they're, hard, they're, they're not that easy to ride I can tell you that much <laughs> but that one's that one's quite a cool yeah. story actually and then like the, the drop-in ramp just completely broke like just got destroyed the snow went off the top of the hedge and we didn't get the chance to do it again <laughs> I like telling people when we're going for a pie at the bakery they'd be like yeah this has been jabbed and like, what <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh those are good ones though you know because yeah there's there's a little bit of a story behind it. and then I think um, after that Jordan another dude Chris Eames who was another like local shredder like um, in every snowboard film but um, yeah he would just like rip rails super good at rails he and Jordan had a really good session on that kink rail which is sort of just down from the main rail oh at uh, the Ar- in Aratown there by the skate park yeah yeah oh right I, I think it was Creens if my memory serves me rightly oh so um, yeah it was pretty heavy kink but I because how did Jordan I, come into the picture? You met him in Utah. Met something. him in Utah. He lived next door to Carl mm. and basically just sort of like ended up being at their house all the time. Sort of like a Kramer character. Right. <laughs> and he was just always there. Like, was he just like a semi-pro or some shit? Um, he was pro. Yeah, like he was incredibly good. So he had a name, I remember him having his name on a snowboard or something. For a yep, yep. He, so there's a local uh, brand called Revolution. And he right. had the the air rear, he called it, um, and he was he was actually an instructor up there, and he um, was just really really good at everything. And he was mm. he's another person like Steph. So Steph Jordan and I would ride a bit at that park at mm. Park City together because we'd always just be keen to continue to ride until like the end of the day. And Jordan was like the prime example of that. Like he'd never want to go home, just always want to snowboard, mm. and. Um, there's stories of him. There's a there's a film called City Park City. Can you remember that? No. It was called. It was like a Bond theme, like Bond, James Bond, but City Park City. Oh, right. right. And it was um it was kind of a lot of it was about Sean White. It's Hakey Saucer, Eroetela, Aaron Bittner, and Jordan. Like one day, I remember Carl telling the story. Like he turned up late, and um, had like some crazy get up on like he used to wear like a pink beanie and an oversized like fluoro orange t-shirt it was sort of that era as well in like yeah. tech nine era a little bit and there's all these pros around and they're doing like i don't know 180 on or something and jordan turns up and i think second go does like 450 onto this rail and then it's like hitting the biggest jumps he used to work in the park where he'd hit the 70 foot jump with a rake in his hand switch straight ears switch straight switch straight ears on the 70 foot jump with a rake in his hand just like the loosest <laughs> yeah and then he actually came back to New Zealand um, and was here for quite a few years worked on the park crew at the Remarks um, and then he lived in Auckland for a bit and he came back down and he hit the I don't know if you can remember it was in like a a diaries episode where we hit uh, we had a gap to down rail at Cadrona is that the one where Alex did the yes. radio to back lip yes like yeah. one of the craziest sessions yeah. like one of the craziest rail sessions I've ever been at well the craziest rail session I've ever been at. Maybe there's been crazier rail sessions go on, but this was like it was crazy. Yeah, well, fucking walk us walk us through that a little bit because all, all I remember is Alex 
doing that fucking back rodeo to back lip and it's just like <laughs> fucking it was it was <laughs> fucked it yeah. was so sick like so basically i just had this idea that i wanted to build a jump to a down bar um semi selfishly because i wanted to try a one foot 270 onto a rail see that's pretty bonkers already um but yeah anyway um and we ended up like a few japanese crew that came along yuki kadono um keiji okamoto um there's another japanese dude there who did like front three onto it um brown was there for a bit but and jordan came from um from auckland like hadn't snowboarded in like a year or something and he got the session started. Like, nobody even wanted to go near this thing because it was pretty big. Like, mm. Tony had built it really well. That's right. It was where the fourth table used to be, right? Yeah, so... Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so where the... Where the... Is it called... Um, well, Antlers... Yeah, yeah. The, the intermediate the, line. Intermediate. Yeah. The, the triple line. The, the three medium jumps at Cadrona. It's like putting a, a rail in the landing of the last one of that. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, what a session that was. Um, and I had, I'd seen Alex Stewart, um, who is absolutely ripping at the moment, which is the best thing to see because he's, he, he was always writing the remarks with Troy Tanner. He and mm. Troy were like best friends. And those guys are always ripping. Um, Troy was often hurt, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but Alex was just like coming, like you could just see that he was, he loved snowboarding, he had really good style. Mm. and he was down and i was like do you want to come to the session it's it's kind of a you know semi crazy feature but like if you're down come along mm. um it'd be awesome to have you there and he took the invite very seriously you know it was like one of those sort of classic um like breakthrough moments i guess mm. which was so cool to um be witness of um and just started destroying it so first i think jordan started jordan did like a back 270 onto it within the first 10 minutes of being there which sort of set the tone one of the japanese dudes did front 270 i think kg actually did front two front 270 or front 360 but broke his ankle because was this like you had your takeoff about a 40 foot gap to the rail uh you probably traveled yeah. i think the gap was probably you know to the to the front of the rail was probably like 20 foot 20 foot 15 right. to 20 yeah. and then where you're landing like where alex landed on the rodeo was mm. probably 40 foot yeah 35 40 foot for sure like pr- like proper and anyway <laughs> it was it wasn't probably meant to be quite so big or just like it needed to be that big for the tricks that we wanted to do but mm. when we got there in real life it was like ooh. but it turned into like the most progressive session ever so jordan i think jordan did switch 450 back 450 i think he did cab five onto it like and just watching this all go down um and then alex sort of just took a while to sort of warm into it Mm. and he was just sort of chilling for a bit and then i actually like i wanted to do the front so i did front 270 and then i remember doing front 270 like because i wanted i'd done one foot front 270s onto rails before 
but I'd never kicked out. Like I'd never been able to like manage like a front side grab with a kick out. Mm. So I was like, this has got to happen. Like in my mind, it totally made sense. Like mm. I was like, just go up, do that. So right beside it, um, made sure that the jump was nice and wide. Tony was nice enough. And I just did a bunch. I think I did like 10. Mm. One foot front 270s um, to board slide essentially onto nothing. Like drew a line, you know, was just mm. like trying to get it. It's like, okay, it's time to go now. And um, did one foot front 270, landed on the rail. And as I got sort of off the end, I just slipped off. Like if I was over like another little bit, I might have been okay, you know. But slipped off and then put my foot down. Oh. And it just it just like um, just jolted my knee. Oh. So it was so gutting because I was so, in my mind, the trick just totally made sense. Like it was there for the taking you know mm. and um i'd had it in my mind i was just so gutted um but i knew my knee was done i was so mm. i was just like devastated and anyway i went and got it checked out i was only in there for 20 minutes half an hour or something because i could sort of walk at that point and they just gave me some ice and i was like i'm going back to the to the session and i remember walking back from the first aid session and alex is doing a front flip over this setup onto the rail which was like i'd never even seen that before mm. um and he'd got that and then he did the he was trying this backside rodeo onto it and he just was taking an absolute hiding like just put through the paces and um he was very persistent and very determined and did it mm. and nailed it got backside rodeo to frontside board slide or backlip whatever you call it and uh the rest is history and like after that point you know like that episode everybody was just like oh my god oh my god oh my god like there's so mm. many crazy tricks so for the diaries episode right? diaries episode so yeah. it's on youtube for yep i think that was 2012 episode three i'd like to say right yeah so there you go listeners diaries <laughs> down under episode 12 uh, yeah 2012 episode. episode three i think i think it was one where there's the <clears throat> new zealand open that mickle bang one mm. so that at the time was we filmed mark mcmorris attempt the first ever triple cork in slope style competition 2012 august right and i mean since then look at where snowboarding's gone yeah that's less yeah. than 10 years ago and it doesn't seem that long ago but then when you actually break it down to that compared to what's going on now it's like fuck it's a different world almost <laughs> yeah like i mean like, ballsy move like nobody had at the time it seemed nuts i remember us like bugs and i going back to the editing office and like getting it online first and stuff first time torstein did a triple flip mm-hmm. and um i was working on the vineyards and nate hodson who worked in the park crew was working on the vineyards mm-hmm. with me and that was just all we could talk about that day it's <laughs> like oh my god this is fucking crazy and, you know. <laughs> that was crazy mm. that front side triple yeah that was crazy yeah, and like, and watching was it two thousand and nine? Watching Sean White link together back to back doubles in the Cadrona Pipe. Ah, oh, yeah. And we're just like, I was out there watching that on my lunch break, and just like, like, and it didn't really dawn to me I'd watch competitive snowboard history right then and there, but <laughs> it was like, wow, that's pretty fucking out of it. Ah, yeah. I was Sean White's body double once. Sorry, what? <laughs> I was his body double for this thing. Um, I don't know. If, tell I, us more, Nick. 
Um, that was in the Cadrona pipe for an ad, and I just had to, like just for the camera test type thing. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, I was there and had to like you know get in the super pipe so that the cameraman could test whether they could film it. You know, get right up to the top and stuff. Um, and I had like the full outfit. Full. Did you have to have the stance as wide as his? It was just one of his boards, I think. Yeah, I think I might have brought the stance in a little bit, but yeah. Um, and I remember him just coming up and being like, looking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was awesome, actually. Mm. Yeah, Heath was shooting that. There's a couple of other local crew on it. Um, yeah. Jesus between Browner being unintentionally Travis Rice's <laughs> you being short white spotty double do they make you wear a ginger wig there was some hair I feel like there was a wig of some kind for real yeah mm. I was um, <clears throat> a couple of things to segue back into travel a little bit there's a couple of travel things I wanted to ask you about and uh one was fairly recent where you were um, working with Travis Rice, seeing well, or Nick Brown. I don't, know <laughs> I don't fucking know who's who now. Um, in Japan, on um, on Travis or Nick's project, the fourth phase. Yeah, so that was um, that actually started. Um, I think it was December two thousand thirteen, which right. is crazy to think about now. That was like eight years ago. Um, I don't know where to start on that one. Um, like, well, how did that? How did a guy from <laughs> New Zealand get in on like one of the biggest snowboard film projects that there, there's been? Well, yeah, I mean, just crazy set of like circumstances, I guess. Um, so we at the time had a dude working with us on diaries, um, doing sales, and he was um, this dude Rob, um, who was uh, based in Wellington. And then he moved to Japan. His whole family moved to Japan. And while he's over there, he was actually working in recruitment. And he bumped into this... Uh, he, he had this photographer called Dice K. Maru, um, who was sort of... He did a lot of photography with Devin Walsh and all the Wildcat crew. And he said to Rob, oh, Brain Farmer going to be coming to... Something along these lines anyway. Um, I don't know how much of it was... Um, and next thing you know, I get a um, an email from the producer, JK. Shout out JK um, from Brain Farm. Probably the hardest worked dude ever. Mm. Um, like, man, we, we yeah we went hard. So basically, there was like there was a crew of um, there was Travis, Mark Lanvick, Michael Bang. <clears throat> then there was Travis's girlfriend there was like a crew of about 14 drone pilot um two dops editor the whole shebang director um producer um and then i was like field producer was my role oh and shin shin biajima who was um one of the writers as well and sort of helped out with some of the the local stuff and um basically yeah i'm trying to think where to get started here we had to get all of these crew, um, just it's kind of daunting to think about how much there was to do on that trip. But like, there was um, we needed a box truck for all the gear. We needed one, two, three vans, and we needed to get all of the crew from the airport in Tokyo through Tokyo all the way to Hakuba to get to our accommodation. So I remember that being like a, 
just such a weight on my mind like getting that's quite a big logistical undertaking it was yeah at the time it was pretty huge and like at the time working through getting the accommodation and like all of the stuff like met so many good people and like when you work that closely with people and that intensively it's um you get to know people really well Mm. um oh then there's like the grip as well like and um we um basically Oh, I, like I think the the least amount it was a five week trip. the The shortest day I did was sixteen hours. Fucking hell! Um, I think the last day was like twenty five hours. Like, so we, I was just I was basically in charge of um, everything, um, everything that the producer couldn't do. Like I was probably sleeping like six hours a night. He was probably sleeping like four hours. Right. And there was like at the time there was like heli to organize there was snowmobiles and there was night shoots so there's all the lights to organize as well and all these backcountry locations so i ended up doing a lot of the location management and translation a lot of driving um, a lot of like just yeah general production work to be honest and it was incredible like i got to know travis really well um got to know the crew really well and they were just like so I remember the first day being so awesome. We just went to the top of um, Huckaba 47 and we all just bombed down together, like the whole right. crew. And it was just the sickest feeling. And that was like the one, the one, the one day of the trip was like awesome. Like uh, the whole thing was so, so awesome. I make it out to sound like it was bad. It was, the whole thing was awesome. Mm. Um, it was just, it was just huge. Yeah. Um, put to work pretty quick. Yeah, it was good, man. It was so good. Like, there was not a second of it that we didn't enjoy it was just like massive mm. and i felt like i just thought travis was um and i remember like getting to the top of hike 47 and bombing down i was like every single person here is an incredible snowboarder like all the crew everybody was like the strongest snowboarder you could tell they just like lived like they're all from jackson hole mm. um and just like the best dudes who loved shredding and loved filmmaking so i was the best people to be around you know and you just mm. learn so much from those people yeah and um like travis i just remember thinking how good travis was as sort of like just navigating all of the things that were coming his way because it was quite complicated behind the scenes with like what Mm. needed to get shot and um you know where we were going to go the next day you know what line he was going to do what other shots remained like what we're going to do on our down days and stuff because he sort of had like a semi you know, I don't know if he had sort of like a semi... He was sort of semi-director role in a way, but, you know, he, he just he was just part of it because he's sort of the star, you know. Mm. So he had a lot to, <clears throat> so to navigate. His, I mean, like I remember seeing his riding in Snow Park and being like, whoa, but his free riding to actually in oh. front of your eyes is just a whole nother thing, right? It's like, incredible. Like, and- yeah, it was crazy because those guys didn't get to ride that much like they weren't riding that much more than we were you know because mm. it's like set up a feature you've got to have like you know four cameras with a crazy big boom pole or some you know it was there was sort of drone but not heaps of it and every time we use the drone i've actually got a funny story about the drone on that but um, um he was yeah he and landvik and mickle like yeah mickle was the set like all of those dudes were insane but i remember travis just being like so good in the alpine like Mm. just knew so much and was so good at 
just navigating the crew and the actual riding. Mm. Um, so what's the drone story? So on the last, on the very last night of the first year, um, so I think we were five weeks deep at this point. Um, and we got to the zone at Hakuba 47 and there was this, the drone was like, a, it was a red. So it was like, to fly a drone at the time, it was only 2014 this would have been. Mm. But even then, drone technology, they wanted to fly a red. So you needed this like, we needed a specialized drone pilot with like special like mega setup. Mm. And um, the somebody at the resort had told me, because we were riding there at night in a zone that wasn't usually open and... Do not go down that slope. There's a winch cable. Oh, yeah. And I, I remember like hearing the story about was it Mike Page or somebody yeah. and tra- like and just having this horrible vision in my mind. And Travis is like just revving the mm. shit out of the snowmobile, <laughs> like hooning up one way, <laughs> hooning the other way. And I was like, oh god. And then I see him like hoon straight towards where, like the dark spot where the winch cable was. And, um, yeah, all those guys sort of took the piss out of me that, cause I was like, Travis, no. And like ran, ran to like stop Travis mm. and managed to stop him. But what I didn't stop was I stepped on the drone and crushed the drone oh, no. like in the process. Oh man. Like, and this is, this is like 18, 19 hours deep into the day. Like Travis like is alive. Oh, but the drone, oh, I think he actually got the drone going after like an hour or two and like minus 12 managed to get the drone going again. But it was like a very expensive setup. <laughs> Fuck, I felt bad. But yeah, an, an insane experience because it was just so next level on like all of the production elements um, and kind of inspiring for where I am now you know like mm. filming in the mountains and stuff Brilliant. and knowing what's required good education really cool. to apply to diaries and that 100% like any film job you know it's just cool to, mm. to just to step up to that new world mm. the second year was a dream yeah second year was a complete dream because they're like well we're not doing heli we're not doing snowmobiles we're not doing night stuff we're just going to go to the resort and get action and keep the drones away from that keep the drones away from <laughs> So the second year was like awesome and JK the producer had actually become the director that year. So he was and then there was another producer so there was sort of like um and I could step up to a more like help the producer a lot more. Um and oh, it was it was so good. Mm. And you just get to know everybody on that next level like um it was cool. So it was rad that like they gave you a shout out on Instagram and yeah, all that yeah. Sort of thing. One of the spots we went to, we had the, like one of the one of the best powder riding sessions I've ever had is at Cortina, and um, which is a spot in Hakuba. I don't know if you've been there, but it's like a spot renowned for powder, and we spent a lot of time there in what they called perfect trees. And um, this one day, that actually closed the resort, but we were able to go up um, to get a few to get a few shots, and um, we ended up just lapping the top chair by ourselves so i was like travis um i think scott surface guide myself shin maybe lando um and another one of the filmers maybe i can't remember if it was um and and it was i think it was yeah justin and we just had like the craziest 
few hours like lapping this lift to ourselves that's unreal that's a lot of people's like dream run right there is like oh and like following travis down <laughs> yeah. it was pretty sick yeah like and at the time you know it was just such a like it was just the best but yeah. it was so cool on instagram you like you said like travis putting up that post of the the one foot back and stuff <laughs> um well, that's pretty cool man yeah before we move away from um, travel stories, um, could you enlighten us on the moment in Europe when you were running away from a drug testing after winning a biggie? Have I got wires? I feel like has, has Dutty stitched me up here or something? Um, can't. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. <laughs> um, no, I do remember some drug testing in Europe. Um, it was after, I think, yeah, so we'd had the the new year's in mayhoff and then we went to graz which is um a spot in austria for a scaffolding big air and um i'd actually done a, um i think i ended up coming fourth because it was like a knockout thing all oh, right and i i um came up against p2 peroinen in the semi-final which was pretty tough going at the time mm. to beat he had at the time he had like cab nine and ten just on lock i think i was doing switchback nine and sevens um and yeah anyway that was a podium fourth was a podium for some reason they gave podium fourth so i was stoked and then like um you know the sort of like the flower girls and the trophies and and then for some reason um they they took the others off for like their drug test and um i just maybe got yarning to somebody or was like behind i was just talking to the coach or something they couldn't find me Mm. And then like there's a bit of a bit of a hint, and then one of the coaches comes over like you should you got to come now, <laughs> and came and grabbed me and, and took me into the toilet and uh, watched me do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's not not exactly how that was uh, framed to me then. No, I wasn't, wow. <laughs> I wasn't running, <laughs> but that would be a good yarn. I should have I should have uh, changed that one. <laughs> do you and Browner do a bit of time in China? Yep, we did. We did um, the Nanshan Open, actually, which Jake had gone there uh, before us as a Kiwi. And one of the dudes, Ollie, shout out Ollie, he um, invited both Brown and I. And he came from the US and I came from Japan and um, basically just had to buy our flights to arrive. And it was sort of like this golden era of snowboarding in, so in China. How long ago was this? Was this sort of... Uh, this would have been about 2000. Nine was probably the first one. So China wasn't really on the radar too much as a shred destination. Then. No. So the the guys who organise it. So um, Steve, Dirty Steve, he's Austrian, fluent in Chinese, best dude, um, and Marco, his best friend. They were sort of responsible for really growing the scene in China. And there's another Kiwi um, Chinese guy, Andrew Wild. He was there as well. And um, yeah, those guys just really connected with them because they just like love shredding so much and they're still like the dudes are in their 40s now and they're still shredding super hard they just love it and um so it was really good to connect with them and and they love drinking beers too which is <laughs> another thing to connect on which is kind of cool um but yeah like the first time we went um brown had come from the u.s i'd come from japan and they said yep you're just arrived in beijing airport everything else will be taken care of and i remember being like okay and then like got off the plane and didn't really know what to do and there's like a Red Bull girl with a sign with my name on it and then she hands me a beer and then she's like yep the taxi's just over here we hop in a taxi to the Hilton which is like five star accommodation in Beijing so the Red Bull girl hands you a beer yeah and that's amazing 
yeah and i think that was kind of just the start of how awesome it was like and then we swept off to this like crazy teppanyaki restaurant and then you go to get foot massages like they just turned it on like <clears throat> steve and marco just really wanted the riders to feel appreciated for like going out of their way to come to this little spot in china it's like full desert only snow making i think there's a photo maybe on my instagram of like literally just these white little trails it's like seeing snow park in spring but on steroids like there's literally no snow anywhere else except these trails right um and it was quite cold like um so they can make heaps of snow there's just no natural snow right um but yeah it was great like both years that brown and i went we um we made the finals and in those days like everybody was there for a good time like i remember uh, a couple of the dudes like were so drunk on the first night that they just kept drinking through the next day didn't make practice <laughs> and then came to the finals and actually like rode really well but everybody just split the prize money so everybody i remember at the final dinner like most people sort of i think maybe half the people that were there made the finals they had a what you know it was like whatever a couple of grand cash and and hundred dollar us bills and then it was karaoke and then yeah just a bit more mayhem and um yeah, just got to go know those guys really good. So, massive shout out to Sounds the like, Nanshan crew, like the, the people snowboard comp. Totally, which and is kind of they ran it for China. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they ran it for years and years, and um, they created a brand. Like Marco's got his brand JBMC, and they ended up giving me like pro model glove and stuff. So four oh, years right. of having a pro model glove and just so much love. They came to China quite a few times. Um, and were just like because they're from they rode in Beijing all the time, but they just loved riding powder. They came to Nisco and um, we were able to film together and stuff. So, what was the level of riding <clears throat> like at this time? You were doing the China competitions. Was 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 doubles a thing in the slope style runs the, or the first year doubles weren't a thing? Right. Um, that was maybe two thousand nine. Um, the second time I went, I think it was two thousand eleven. Doubles were a thing, but not crazy you know right um and how did you and Browner go i think we got well we got definitely got top eight both times i think the first time i came fourth i'll say yeah right. yeah um and but yeah the prize money was just split so like as soon as you made finals you just knew that your trip was paid for you're having a good time and like the crew there were amazing we went to the uh, Great Wall of China on a bus, like everybody. The one of the years, like a full apartment got trashed and stuff, was actually kind of bad. Really, just yeah. the, ro- the rock and roll lifestyle. Rock and roll lifestyle got the better of um, the the Russian contingent. They got. <laughs> oh, the f- we all know they're rock and roll through and through. <laughs> well, it was the vodka. <laughs> yeah, far out. Um, and then actually, Wildy, um, the Chinese um, Kiwi dude, he started doing a bit of a web series over there diaries-esque I guess sort of travel influence and he invited me to Xinjiang which is like the complete other side of China fun fact they're actually on the same time zone regardless of where you are in China so the sun didn't come up until like 11 a.m or something right yeah and it was on the border of Mongolia so it was pretty like shit that's pretty far out there eh? oh it was like a five or six hour flight from Beijing yeah and um oh it was one of those trips that I'll never forget because it was just so so different yeah. Um, and and we were making this sort of travel series and there's like I don't know a dude with like a a pet eagle I don't know just like and then it was sort of like it's sort of where the Uyghur people are and that sort of thing so there's a lot of that that chat going on and like the army there like you had to show your passport like three or four times just to, before you got to the resort yeah um, just very 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 different yeah, yeah. 
but unforgettable. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, and how was the riding out by Mongolia and stuff then? Because you'd be starting to get into some pretty sizable peaks out that way, right? Well, there's some pretty big mountains, but there was no like powder. There's, a, I know that there's another um, spot. Actually, that's not entirely true. We did find a little bit of powder, um, but you sort of had to go off course. But they had um, like big fences on the sides of all the runs you're not meant to sort of go too off piste but we did a few times and it was it was kind of cool but just really shallow you know they had fresh snow but just not huge volumes yeah. there's a couple of other places i think um like austin smith and a few crew actually went a bit further out and went like proper backcountry um but just a wild part of the world to have been able to snowboard and like experience I, I don't actually know if foreigners are, are allowed there right now but um yeah there's some heavy yeah. um sort of political stuff that went down but um, yeah, another trip that I did with those guys actually was to Korea, oh, right. which was really fun to go see. We pretty much did four four different spots in um, in four days. One of them um, was where it was Pyeongchang, where the Olympics were. But we oh, weren't yeah. shredding the Olympics course or anything. We we're just like having fun, getting mm. some getting some clips for the JBMC film. But yeah, um, that was also. Yeah, we uh, we partied in Gangnam, <laughs> and um, and those guys have come to New Zealand a few times. So um, and they still stay, you know, as, as really close friends. So um, yeah, good times, good good crew of snowboarders. Because riding in Korea is sort of similar deal, like it's like snowmaking and on piste. Yeah, sort of I mean, thing. it's funny how close sort of Korea and Japan are, and then mm. they're quite different. It was quite interesting to go from Japan to China, then to Korea, like in this one trip, and like. Culture-wise, Korea is sort of somewhere in between, I guess, probably closer to Japan. Mm. Um, but snow-wise, probably more similar to China. And again, they have big fences to like stop you going off piste. Not that there's any snow off piste anyway, but like just in case you thought I'm going to go down there, mm. um, you can't because there's fences that are like three or four meters high. No, the ultimate Jerry repellent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Before we move on, we've talked about Snowpark a little bit. Um, was there an episode where you were um, doing snow to surf or some shit? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, it was that was actually a really sick episode we did of Diaries. I think um, that might have been first one we did in 2012. We had Maz Quinn. No way, legend, right. absolute legend. Such a good dude who was just like down to snowboard, hmm. and um, we had organised with Christy up doing marketing up at snow park to stay in one of the apartments oh yeah which was that in itself is a cool experience you know i, I forget christy used to do that totally i mean fuck, i've known her for years it's yeah totally christy forgot. quinn yeah. shout out thank you for the apartment mm. um and man there's some wild parties in those apartments actually i remember mm. like one of the tvs coming off the wall at one point <laughs> or something after um, the billabong bro downs usually wasn't it yeah <laughs> those ones are gnarly yeah like um but anyway so we stayed in the apartment that night and did the whole snow to surf thing which um it's pretty cool because a lot of people talk about snow to surf you know mm. and um we wanted to just do it but sort of on another level um mm. and we were able to we had an awesome sponsor at the time heli tours paul mitchell and his crew and so we stayed up there and stayed up there with maz and paul came from queenstown picked us up in the helicopter and flew us to the west coast um yeah. to um jackson uh sorry just by big bay there oh yeah martin's bay oh, and i hadn't really surfed in years and was like worried it was gonna be it was like it was the end of june i think it was like 30th of june 
Mm. And um, it was like Maz was out there just getting wave after wave after wave after wave, like just loving every second of it. He had his hood on and booties. He ended up taking his gloves and hood off um, because it was so warm. Because for some reason, that part of the West Coast is actually kind of warm water, which I had no idea. Um, The water was like 14 or 15 degrees. And I think like Dunedin is, well, Lake Waikatipu is only about 10. So, um, or eight, eight, between eight and 10. And um, yeah, got some waves. Steph got some waves over there. And then we came back to Snow Park and um, did a few runs through the park with the heli, like that, there were no drones then, helicopter. Mm. Um, I think either Heath or Bugs was filming out of the helicopter us doing runs through the park. Sick. Yeah, and we got Maz on snow, like doing some proper shuckers. <laughs> Night riding at Snow Park, we right. did. I was surprised that you didn't pick a free ride place to go snowboard. With Maz being a surfer and all that. Yeah, it was sort of just part of the story, like stay on the snow, do that, do our thing, and, and yeah. boost from there. But he loved it. He was just like doing slashes on the wall ride and. Right. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, that wall ride, bloody, uh, pretty iconic feature that thing. Yeah, mm. timeless. Mm. Yeah, it was good. Oh, well, seeing was talking about snow park, and there's a lot of riders that associate pretty well with that. But you mentioned before is like Will J was pretty. Yeah, synonymous with that place. You spend a bit of time riding with him here and overseas. And yeah, spend a bit of time with Will J. Actually, I remember actually staying with him in Sapporo. He used to be oh. based out of Sapporo, yeah. and um, with a photographer called Lee Ponzio, who now sort of travels around with the Japanese team. Um, I think Tim Pierce was staying with him maybe at the same time as well. And like, I remember just going for like a cruise around the streets with Tim, trying to get smarty stuff. And with Will, we went to a few different spots. I actually went to. Five mush with Will, I think, which is like a really famous pillow line off the side of All right. of the highway there, the pass. I mean, um, he's, he's got most of Hokkaido dialed if you're after a shred time. Oh, totally. Everywhere between Sapporo and Nisco, Will knows mm. pretty well. Um, and I just remember one photo that stands out in my mind of Will J is um, him doing a backside ear at Snow Park in the half pipe. And Trevor Pondings in the background, is that the one? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember those details, but I just remember like this huge backside air mm. and um, thinking that was pretty awesome at the time. Like, how the on earth do you go that big in a half pipe? And um, I also did a trip with Will to Isabel Glacier for oh, Diaries. Right. Yeah, Diaries um, 2011. Right. We went and stayed where it was called um, Intense Camping. We slept on the glacier in tents and um, it was rad coldest night of my life yeah fuck but that's wow that's pretty cool and how how was the writing up there sick it was so fun yeah 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 there's there's a shot of will like hitting a rock sort of wall ride and then there's another sort of step down that we hit browner does the best cab nine anybody's probably ever done anywhere well maybe i'm biased but um and will did a six switchback five right um yeah, that was that was a good episode. Mm. And speaking of um, international Kiwi riders, um, have you done a bit of time with RMB? RMB, have indeed. Oh. I've actually spent a lot of time with them this season. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So we've been filming. Um, I've been well, yeah, more behind the scenes on the film production film side for the last, you know, wee while now, mm. five five years at least. And um, so Roland. 
um, instead of like being beside him as a writer, it's more like me behind the camera, which is cool to see Roland in a different light, you know, just seeing how he reads the terrain and just working with him on how to get shots. And he's very talented. Some Great his, trick choice. Some of his POV lines he put on social media remarks. It's like, holy fuck. Legit. Like, yeah, whoa. totally. And he's he's actually quite <clears throat> motivated just to go up and do stuff <clears throat> himself. Um, but he was awesome <clears throat> to film with because he <clears throat> is just always down. You know, yeah. like he's... He's the he's the oldest dude, you know. He'll tell you that as well, mm. but he doesn't act like it, you know. <laughs> so he's um always like, I think that's one attribute that Roland like his he's got so many covers, so many good shots mm. and magazines and stuff. He's always like knows what's trick is going to look good on which feature, you know. He'd have a lot of experience that the younger guys could draw from for sure. And he's got really quite a good eye for terrain and mm. um and is always just like loves it you know i mean obviously he wouldn't still be doing if he didn't love it yeah um but he was on the japan journals trip that we did uh i think he came did he come yeah he came the first year on japan journals and um i remember he learned his first he did his first i don't know if he's he may have done another one since i don't want to back 10 double on the jump that we built yeah browner did a front 12 double holy shit um, of course he did <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all learnt doubles on this one jump up at Goshki which is sort of like um, I mean you don't really associate Japan with big cheese wedges but no. um, it's sort of just like you've got Niseko and then you've got um, like Anapuri and it's sort of between and then you've got Moewa mm. it's sort of around that zone um, Goshki Onsen but yeah it was an awesome spot and then he and Steph did some really nice pillow lines off the top there as well we just got a day that was like sunny and great snow and yeah. we just scored it um, and he was also on there's a ridiculous video that resurfaces every now and again called Derokio 09 oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he alluded to it but he didn't go into detail in his interview um, Roland was on that trip as well so like man we've just been on so many good trips and it was mm. fun like this year Roland and I actually just did a trip like before um, before actually like committed to the first day filming for the New Zealand snow movie that I'm making this year Roland and I just did like a bit of a recce to Mount Dobson and I just took my camera and like we had we left at four in the morning and rode Mount Dobson for the day and then drove back and it was so nice to just spend like well you know what road trips are like when you go mm. with an old friend or something we had five hours yeah. on the way there and five hours on the way back to catch up on everything you mm. know so you just it's so cool on these trips because you become and you've got so many common interests you just get to know people really yeah. well you know yeah. that's what it's I mean I always think when like, when someone says Roland I always think of the intro to Bottomless Pockets where he's taped to the ground <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, like Roland like I said before, he has sort of gone across several sort of generations. Like he mm. was, he was in the magazines when I was young, you know, and not in mm. the magazines. <clears throat> yeah. And then he was there, like working beside me at with Brown and I at Ultra and S and C, and you know, ripping in the rail jams and stuff. Um, and then, you know, he spent all that time in Europe. Come back. So this, and he's seen the whole spectrum too of like sponsor me tapes and all that carry on to mm-hmm. now and through the yeah, magazines through the, to media now exactly and, yeah, yeah so he's um 
Jesus, a whole thing. I didn't even fucking get to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to talk to Roland. <laughs> Roland, you're gonna come back on next year, mate. Um, but yeah, it's great. He actually came. So we did the three regions. He's actually across, in all three regions. So he did like Remarkables, Mount Dobson, um, and Mount Rupehu as well. Rad. Was that? Um, I mean, Dobson. When you get a good snowfall in there, that place is fucking awesome. Oh mate. man, it was so good. Like the first day was awesome like we just it was a beautiful clear day and just sort of like went for a hike and um roland found a cliff to boost off and stuff i just got a couple of stills and a few other bits and pieces um and then we sort of looked into a couple of the shoots and like there's some quite gnarly lines mm. to be had there if you want to mm. like, we didn't even really ride the normal side of the resort we just were just over the back um but some man if you wanted to like tour or split board there or even just like the hiking was Awesome. So it looked like they had a really good start to the season up that way. Totally. Mount mm. Dobson scored it all mm. the way through. Like They just got the best snow all year. Mm. Um, and I think they actually had to close because the farmer wouldn't let them go up the road anymore or something along Yeah, something along they, they were, were hellying in from Twizel for a week or two there. I remember hearing that, actually. Yeah, something like that. It, it would have been. Crazy. It would have been sick. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it just didn't have the uh, funds that they were asking for. It's like, oh, that's a bit out of my wallet. <laughs> Um, um, so we've talked a bit about diaries down under, which is mm-hmm. what a lot of people associate you with now. Um, can we talk a bit more about what is diaries down under? Yeah, sure. So diaries down under. I mean, we Ben Ryan and I we started it back in like two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. So I just like we actually, so Ben Ben Ryan and Tim Ryan, not related. <laughs> um, uh, hit me up maybe like 2007 just to present this show um the method tv show i think i was talking like a snow park only tv sh- like mm. series that we did and so ben and i ended up working really closely on that um with tim as well um and then in 2008 uh bugs had moved to australia and i remember thinking okay maybe we try and do something similar over this side of the hill mm. And um, so we basically teamed up, and I just remember like asking Bugs if he was keen. He's like, "Yep, keen as." Um, like at the time, we just wanted to film snowboarding. Um, Bugs had been doing his thing for a while. He sort of he he was from Nelson, so he filmed a lot with like Ferret and Jeremy Thorns. Mm. And um, it's funny actually, I forgot about it. Like I don't know, if, like Jeremy was always filming with Bugs, mm. um, and. Yeah, I can't remember how that all eventuated, but it turned, yeah, anyway, Bugs and I got together in 2008, and um, we basically went cap in hand to all of my sponsors at the time, um, and we're like, look, internet's getting fast enough to watch video now, it's sort of taking off, this is where I think a lot of the future's going to go, and Bugs, you know, sort of helped out on his side as well, and then we went to NZ Ski, and they said, yep, we're keen, we'll sponsor it, and... um, I think we ended up making we i think at that time we got paid per episode so we just made like i think the first year we made like six episodes the second season we made like nine and then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> um, and then uh I, it wasn't even like because of the money or anything it was just like it just kept going um and we just wanted to keep making it um but i think and then 2010 i remember yeah bugs just had this meeting with a dude um another rob, a different rob out of australia like do you want to do you want to make this a bit more do you want to go bigger with it 
and we were like hell yeah if it means we can get better cameras better writers better locations better films out of it let's you do guys it we're working with new zealand for a while right totally Still yeah 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 so we worked with them uh that was they came on board 2011 actually right so because i thought that was a huge deal like wow <laughs> like, oh man yeah. justine who uh, justine murphy from new zealand shout out to her she's like incredible marketer for mm. new zealand she, she no longer works for them actually but she had so such great foresight for what was going on in the ski industry and like to get us involved and giselle from lake wanaka tourism she was another person who like really helped make that happen she was actually working mm. for queenstown at the time well it makes sense considering how many australians at the time were flying into queenstown oh totally you know? like, like and it was so good for them because it gave we got them we were just a local crew that was motivated to go and get advanced you know for lack of advanced ski content yeah which is hard to get mm. um so we really we you know filled a gap for them we filled a gap for the market here who wanted to see you know well produced right you know best mm. filmers best something the formula that, never changed really it's a bit more than just an intermediate piece run yeah or like yeah. you know like we just wanted to go and show new zealand to the world mm. and we had transworld so in 2008 yeah i just sent an email to to joe carlino who was working at transworld at the time like we want to do this web series if we do it will you show it and as soon as we sort of had that he's like hell yeah that'd be epic so we had sort of a platform and then we just went to the sponsors first year we just had i think just my sponsors second year we had my sponsors plus export gold (laughs) (laughs) so we had like and brown was actually sponsored by them as well like and so we just got like so when the export gold was running around with that fire truck that was painted yellow Mm -hmm. or some shit yeah yeah (laughs) so brown would get like a big like cube like whatever like 10 by 10 box of export golds and then we got another load for diaries so like the whole lounge was just filled like we couldn't we're stashing them behind the couch like the whole lounge was just filled with export (laughs) gold it was quite funny um and and then the next year that's when yeah we sort of um we went to so we had obviously the tourism element through um nz ski and the likes um then the next year, yeah, we had um, like Destination Queenstown come on board, and at the time they actually sought the funding from Tourism New Zealand, which was quite cool. So we got Tourism New Zealand on board, and then we got a different beer sponsor out of Australia called Max Gold, which was like a um, sorry Max Blonde, and it was like a um, low carb beer, which mm. was sort of quite new at the time. So we got a ton of that beer as well, <laughs> um, and a bit of budget, which was cool because it allowed us to like do a few more heli trips uh we do, yeah we did a heli trip that season um which oh we actually yeah we went which got a feature in transfer magazine at the time um so we're sort of able to sort of tick a few boxes which was cool mm. um but i think between 2008 and so we did 11 winters of the web series i think it was close to 50 episodes all up right um, um do you want to talk us about what the work that goes into producing an episode because we all see the finished product and it's easy to take the finished product for granted mm. and not realize the work that goes on to actually create create these things yeah well it's i mean it's sort of it's a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario in some realm it depends how early you start in this process but um i mean the first thing you need is funding right mm. you need um to sell it in you need somebody to be convinced that 
your idea is a good idea mm. <laughs> and then so that's sort of the first early on process and then you need um to figure out what is required from the client's perspective then you need to gather um distribution platforms mm. um and then you need to um obviously get the crew together um you need to do a health and safety plan um all of you know your production stuff behind the scenes talking with if it's part if it's a park shoot you need to talk to the park crew obviously mm. um figure out a time that's going to work for them talk to them through a feature fund that work potentially or you know let them know how that marketing exchange is going to work and um and then get your filmers together mm. filmer or filmers and um then sort of work your plan for the edit um which well the plan for the edit usually comes slightly earlier but yeah um and then you've got your release plan (laughs) which um you know is how you get it out and about and then you've got your sort of review process um i probably haven't got there's probably a few things that i've missed there in the Mm -hmm. process but there's like so I could bore you with what goes into producing that sort of thing for a long time because there's a, there's a phenomenal like, amount of work. How good you guys make riding in New Zealand look. Like, I mean, riding in New Zealand is pretty fun anyway, <laughs> but there's just some of those episodes like, wow, that's New Zealand, that's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's actually quite crazy to think how many years of my life has been dedicated to making New Zealand look good to Australians. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and Kiwis as well, but like... Mm just trying to get the best filmers, the best writers, best conditions and like mm. tying it into a narrative that sells the story, you know, mm. of like, you know, the, the, the goal is obviously to inspire people to actually want to go and do the activity, but mm. also like, who are you targeting? Um, mm. You know, and with diaries, it was always walking the fine line between you've got your tourism and your sort of more corporate sponsors who have um, their objective, which is to get, you know, either bums on seats or people to New Zealand and then you've got sort of the core audience who are like just want to see the gnarliest tricks in some mm. way. So you need to make it beautiful but progressive but fun. And somehow relatable too, right? Relatable. Yeah. 100%. Like, There's so much. If it's all Nick Brown doing big things, it's like, well, fuck, it's amazing. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and totally. Um, I think, yeah, it's, um, there's a lot that goes into from conception to execution it's quite big and mm. and this project that i'm working on at the moment is it's like an extended version of diaries mm. you know so want to let us in a bit on what you're working on now or? yeah yeah sure so um project that this winter has um had me rather consumed with is um a project that i actually pitched a few years ago three uh three years ago been quite persistent on this idea I've just wanted to like once the web series finished with diaries I wanted to make a New Zealand snow film um, and I just thought it's such a great you know just with the way that media works now you know because you've got a longer piece which is sort of the film which you can have a premiere you can have it at trade shows you can show New Zealand as a whole because mm. New Zealand's actually pretty diverse mm. in the, the, the locations that we have like a Canterbury experience at a club field is very different to going to Cadrona or Coronet Peak when you meet when you meet the riders from these areas too they're the, the people they're all different totally and well when you well, duh, you know but like there's a different everyone's got that different way of reading the mountain that's kind of cool and, for sure and I think each you know. region produces 
a certain type of writer who adapts mm. to writing in a certain way mm. and um yeah that's one of the coolest things that's come i mean there's been lots of cool things that have come out of this project but um been working with um you know the, the skiers association i mean everybody who knows so much about marketing skiing to australia um, and working closely with them and you know sell you know selling my like jay smith actually is somebody who what well, new zealand he needs a shout out actually because jay is like there's so many things that um have happened in new zealand snowboarding that would not have happened without jay and this film is what like he he's part of the skiers association and re- he really like had my back on this idea mm-hmm. um and then sort of selling that one step further like yeah getting the next level of of love from you know like paul anderson um mal nadia and all the all the sort of core marketing heroes of the ski industry um but basically this film um is all about new zealand what makes new zealand like it's all about the new zealand mountains Mm. and heroing the new zealand mountains what makes the three regions different you know it's because you've got sort of like the queenstown wanaka section Mm. So that was probably one of the, the, like, and then you've got the the Canterbury section, which is sort of like, and each one has sort of like a, a chapter title. So, you know, Queen's, uh, sorry, the Canterbury section is all about hearty adventure. You know, it's more of like a down-to-earth, really passionate, committed person that goes to a club field, you know. It takes a little bit longer to get there. Um, it's a little, everything's a little harder in some sense, but the journey is well worth it and that's like part of the experience you know mm. you embrace those quirks like there's a bit more of a work ethic with those guys yeah, totally and like the people the sense of community at a club field you mm. know and the overnight experience like wanted to really build on like lots of people have gone and made you know it's not really an epic snow film to be like okay let's get the gnarliest dudes to do the gnarliest tricks on the gnarliest features mm. it's more about showing the parts of new zealand that don't necessarily get seen and people hopefully people can see this get inspired and go and enjoy the new do zealand some, mountain do some roadies exactly yeah man so um what's what's the is there a name uh so or? the title is uh within reach within reach the new zealand so. snow movie so it's all about sort of accessible adventure and have you got a time frame so it'll be released it sort of depends a little bit um there's just a campaign going into australia um in 2022 um tentative release date well, i probably can't say but it's it's sort of going to be around flight sweet flight is there, schedules is there some um social media we can follow it the progress uh yeah there's bits and pieces that have gone up on diaries down under oh, right. so um diaries has been the production company and then next year there'll be sort of a big push on that side of things oh, um, right. so it's oh. all created this year to sell in 2022 which is how ski marketing generally mm. works you know diaries was a bit of a one out of the bag really and it was kind of why the diaries web series was was quite unique in that we would get quite high-end footage mm. um and we'd turn it around quite quickly and then pump it out mm. but you know you've got so many eyeballs on screens like june and july mm. put anything in front of somebody they're super keen to watch it you i know, can't so. wait to see this one and actually dig into the culture a little what what makes it's 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 i take a little we've we've sort of put together like a highlights package that we showed to um you know to 
to the Skiers Association, and, and the response has been really good so far. Mm. Got a, yeah, got Piers um, Fearcloth Harding working on the post production. No way. Yeah, so he's the raddest dude, man. He's awesome. He's Fuck been yeah. he's been great. So yeah, we've um, we're still pretty deep in it at the moment, mm. um, but it's looking and feeling pretty good. Um, but it's just cool, like to even give Mount Ruapehu a voice. Yeah, and to like yeah. talk about what that Maunga means to the people up there like it gives me chills just talking about it right now yeah. because they are passionate about their mountain and the people up there are passionate and they they you know they, they talk about um the Maunga as as he like he you know they, they mm. give it's like like a character to them living breathing mm. being just like you and I mm. so it's um it's, it's really special which is you consider like the eruptions that they've had and it's like that I totally see why they would see it like a living being yeah when it's erupted on them and all that sort of thing you know it's real cool it's um yeah so that that was one of the more special trips of the year definitely was getting up there that was like October and the, so, that would have been like we returned to your stomping grounds too right yeah so yeah. where I first learned to snowboard exactly right yeah and we've actually filmed we've done a couple of uh, like um <coughs> been up there we did a dies episode and 2017 we went up there yeah. and then um filmed all their like promotional content their brand films and stuff mm. then went up there again to do a spring campaign for them so been lucky enough to get up there and and do a few campaigns for them which has been cool right um yeah um you mentioned diaries down under then and there's just a couple of episodes of diaries i was hoping you could mm-hmm. uh, elaborate on uh there's a fox glacier episode and an ultimate igloo episode fox glacier was like that was pretty prime time yeah, yeah, that was that's definitely like an episode that um, stands out for me. Yeah, it was right at the end. It was um, October <clears throat> 2010, and we'd done the full season of Diaries, like our first season doing the big film production. You know, like um, Bugs had sort of got the new camera. We had um, like a full, you know, we had the, the corporate sponsors on board, all the tourism avenues, and then we had the crew was Josh Clark. Steph C. Strata and myself and Browner. And filming was uh, Bugs and Fawn was the photographer. And we got there all pumped, like left super early in the morning, had these helicopters ready to go high pressure over the whole country. And it was foggy. All right. And um, those who have seen the episode will know what I'm talking about. But basically, like, we're just sort of stuck down in the clag doing like rope emergency drills we had two guides and then um suddenly this like this little like clearing happens and it's just like boom action stations everybody to the chopper like we're going and um we hop in bust through the cloud and we've got two helicopters one following the other like bugs is filming out the front filming this other helicopter and you can see the hut where we're going to stay and then we arrive like right before sunset and we're looking out at the at the ocean at the west coast with just like this immense playground around us all completely out of our element <laughs> except i think steph had done maybe a little bit like he had a pair of crampons and stuff i was pretty much park rat like well mm. s- sort of like i was had definitely never worn crampons before put it that mm. way and never been on a glacier um so that was really special trip jc was there um and everywhere we went, it was like, you go to one feature and it's, it's like 10 times bigger in real life. You know, yeah. just the classic, the cliche sort of saying, but 
it really felt that way another one of browner's innovations that came from that trip was super hot <laughs> he made what he called shovel water so shovel water, shovel water was basically like um we ran out of, for some reason we ran out of water like or you take your drink bottle but you just drink so much like we'd hike quite far and stuff hike a feature you get hot so he was just like melting he had a he must have had a black shovel and he just put snow on a shovel and then put his drink bottle underneath and it would melt the, <laughs> melt the snow and then drip into the water bottle that's amazing fucking browner yeah and oh the, that's just one of many innovative things that he's done like that <laughs> and the ultimate igloo episode ultimate I, igloo I really enjoyed that one. Oh, awesome that's mm. good to hear yeah that one was um <clears throat> yeah behind the scenes stuff it's quite funny because that one was one where like it started with like us having a helicopter sponsor but the location like one of the only locations we could go to at the time because it was mid-october was on another heli operator's land and we weren't sure if we we're going to be able to get in there so i had to broker a deal to actually get onto the property at the start and then we got there and it was like rock solid how the hell are we going to build an igloo there's no snow where we wanted to go luckily there's this one patch that like all of the snow had sort of been blown into and it's big cornice and we had two guides with us um elliot and another dude mike um heath was filming james holman was filming um haven't even talked about james yet there's plenty of stories with him as well but um and seth um seth hill from america was over um he was a sims writer browner and steph and um we just dug we just dug and dug and dug and dug um oh and tom christie was there too all right yeah he was interning for us that year and um he came along and um got a bunch of stills as well which is rad to have him there actually so that one we just like yeah morals we just dug and dug and dug and we just wanted to to build like my idea was to just like build like the ultimate igloo (laughs) exactly what it is um and i kind of wanted to turn it into a jump just have the whole episode revolving around that and um we managed to get some pretty cool shots heath got a really nice shot on his ronin we're like he goes past people like somebody's i don't know digging somebody's drinking something and then somebody's hitting you know the side mm. of the igloo like a quarter pipe and then we built a jump over the igloo at sunset and yeah it's pretty memorable mount mm. Ernslaw right <clears throat> there yeah um yes i just remember there's something about that episode it's like that's fucking sick <laughs> yeah and especially like making something out of like oh this isn't what we we're expecting and making something you know yeah pretty rad out of it yeah and then we ended up um yeah when the helicopter came to pick us up the next day we managed to write a couple of lines and stuff which was cool oh so and and part of your diaries crew is actually um some names that we might remember from the Dero days mm-hmm. um vaughan brookfield and heath patterson oh uh, yeah totally totally um vaughan um is yeah he's still in queenstown now father of three. Oh, right. Yep. He's been busy. Um, yeah, he's been busy. He's got twin girls and another um, girl who's two and a half, good friends with my daughter. Um, and living, living, living life, being incredibly good at taking photos um, mm. and nailing it. And he's had some beautiful prints made lately as well. Like, oh. And you should see the prints he's got in his house. Yeah, They're insane. Like, yeah, really, really talented artist. Um a bit of a magnet to, to like funny stories for some reason oh yeah um 
but great you know he's just like one of those dudes who's fantastic on on every um every spot you go to and he's done a lot of time in the mountains too you know mm. he cut his teeth at coronet peak actually in the park right yeah and the park crew or... park crew yeah right and a lot of time in utah with like browner and and jimmy and some of those other queenstown crew alex hughes um and quite a shredder but just found himself behind the lens a lot more and mm. um has done some beautiful work they did some stuff like some light installments and stuff on the glaciers right um but yeah legend and it's just cool because he's got you know he's got a young family like i do and so yeah. we hang out a lot and his wife and my wife are good friends so That's um, yeah and heath i don't know where to get started with heath heath oh, i mean that's a <laughs> there's a whole episode in itself yeah. <laughs> um yeah i've talked about heath a lot but he was definitely um you know somebody who was a big inspiration for for me mm. and for for rob you know like back in the day he was um the dude who just had endless motivation Mm. and um always wanted to go bigger and be gnarlier than everybody and um he's taken that same ethos but he's swapped his snowboard for a camera so right. he's he always wants to go bigger and uh and and get the better shot mm. and he's made some done some incredible work yeah beautiful beautiful stuff and yeah um so that's We've we've done so many adventures together. So well, we've done just so much work together over mm. the years. He he sort of came on board with Diaries. Oh, two thousand twelve, I think, was his first mm. season. He sort of just came on board under under Bugs' wing, really. Mm. So it's gonna be kind of rad to have like those kind of guys backing you up with Diaries. Like, yeah, you've got you know so much history that you know you can trust. You know, hundred percent. Mm. And when you've worked with somebody for for so long you know you sort of know what was going to go well might what might not go so well you know mm. you, you can sort of understand um exactly um how it's gonna all take course so it's it's been awesome yeah mm. working with heath's been epic i'll say yeah and as someone that's seen well been involved in the snow industry now for probably what two decades <laughs> yeah yes like uh first um, yeah <clears throat> yeah jesus and so are you is there um writers in this current generation that you're watching or been working with with diaries or anything like that yeah um totally i mean we had um we had like the likes of you know some of the i was gonna say he still seems like a young dude but i guess he's actually probably one of the older dudes now but like carlos mm. yeah um carlos has been you know he's always been trying to do um different things in the snow industry the whole way through you know he had his web series kickers and cream and that's right um you know now with like the ruckus series and stuff like he's Mm. he's really trying to push the envelope not only as a snowboarder but as like you know with the films he's Mm. made he's like you can tell that he's really motivated to make really good films Um, Um, i like how he's presenting snowboarding as he sees it totally and he's had some really good results Mm. (laughs) i mean qualifying first at the olympics it was um at the last Olympics, there's actually, I think there's footage of me, but I'm like, I've got my daughter who's literally been born like two days ago in my hands, watching Carlos at the in the big air, just like screaming at the TV screen, frothing like crazy. Um, and, but I like how he's he's got a respect for where snowboarding came from, as totally. well. And you know, one thing I actually, I need Carl. I, I don't know if he can. Maybe my 
I'm foggy on this one, but I remember seeing a post from Carlos on social media when he was like a microgram. <laughs> I remember thinking, man, this dude's going to go places. This dude is going to absolutely crush it because he has got next level froth. He was like, he'd posted on Instagram or Facebook of like a frosty windscreen or something, like the first frost yeah. in, in Christchurch and was like, woo, like <laughs> it's getting cold, baby, or something. I don't know, baby, probably didn't say baby, but like just frothing that it was like getting cold. And I was like, man, if he's got that much stoke for like frost on the windscreen, and like I knew, at the time, like he was sleeping on a couch, like mm. from the age of like fourteen. Brown did a bit of coaching and stuff with him, so he'd stay at our place and crash on the couch, and mm. was always yeah super polite and stuff. So it was cool and did it worked with him a couple of days this year too actually. Oh yeah, yeah, so. which was nice. Um, straight out of lockdown um, and into filming with him, um, and I mean, there's so it's so just so different now, mm. but like. Somebody who, to me, has just been awesome because I've just seen him grow up at the skate park and cruise around the remarks. Coronet. Got to ride Coronet with him this year with Tian. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, he was just always like the Grom, like the nice, <clears throat> polite Grom at the mm. Arrowtown or Queenstown skate park and um, just turned into a beast. Yeah. And like, his, yeah, I love, like, yeah, Tian just got the most precise style you know mm. i love that precision when you watch tian do something you can just tell that he is completely in control 100 percent of the time he's got that that board control that is just mm. like and he's a trick machine see he reminds me of what i would say about you and like david benedict and those guys back in the day of like just that trick progression machine of like right well let's do that switchback you know and so, <laughs> on and so forth and he sort of seems like that oh i mean he, like so much fucking style though so much style like yeah Tian's just you can just tell that he is um yeah just I just reckon it's the control with Tian you can just tell he knows exactly how fast to spin or he knows exactly how to land straight or like were you um, at uh, Mini Pipe this year? no I was away somewhere I can't um, remember where I was so they all Carlos and Liam and those dudes started sessioning from the mini pipe into the super pipe down the bottom mm-hmm. and it's a really quick transition and fucking oh, Tian front side 180 fucking took that landing switch and wrote it out like fucking what like gnarly you know, yeah um, it was really the right. other um, I got to film with Mitchie Davin as well Steve's McGee's, Steve's McGee's. Yep. so yeah talking of you know five hours in the car I had five mm-hmm. hours in the car with Roland and then I had five hours in the car with with, uh, with Steve's McGee's mm-hmm. which was cool because I hadn't you know I hadn't really got to know Mitch that well but when you sit in the car with somebody for five hours you hear you know all the yarns all the stories and mm. sort of it was cool to hear his fuel like his what fuels him now you know he mm. wants to film a sick video part Mm. and that's his motivation and you could tell like when the cameras were on mitch was getting after it it's been interesting watching him come up because mm. he sort of came up he'd been riding katrina for a really long time so, i mean i i, I kind of it's kind of the same story with jj too like suddenly they're just this grown-ass man and they're just fucking <laughs> sick like rock solid just like mm-hmm. wow <laughs> you know and yeah yeah yeah, so that was cool to, to travel with him. Um, obviously, JJ is another rider who, like, Tasman Glacier, 
we did a trip diaries trip 2017 right. yeah. with him that was another october glacier trip yeah um but man it was awesome to, to get to spend a bit of time with him as well oh man and like, he of... just every feature like a couple of them the landings were so flat mm. like brown and i were like oof, and jj's you know 10 years younger than us i guess <laughs> he's just like yep i'm down and did it and did it sick well there's some pictures that come out of that trip that were phenomenal i posted them on the instagram page oh, for this mm-hmm. and one of my favorites is this front side air where he's fully like it, it might as well be like on the, on the skateboard on a vert ramp it's fully tucked knee like it's like man even jeff grosso would be proud of that <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah like, that was legit mm-hmm. and that's right in front of the craziest ice tunnel feature that we had just hit that Mm. area was ridiculous we're riding through a frozen tunnel and boosting out the end of it Um, (laughs) but yeah that was that was another cool one and then there's a couple of like browners crew actually who um yeah who are ripping like oscar and um cam and some of those other little guys yeah i mean there's so many of these kids and i don't even really know their names but they come through the shop every now and then oh yeah yeah and like I, you know i follow them on insta but then mm-hmm. I, I don't really know them and then i was like oh, who's your coach it's either mitch brown nick brown <laughs> drew bray or aj it's yeah like, well, there it is like mm-hmm. look you know that's <laughs> fuck if yeah. you've got any of those four teaching you you're gonna be fucking good for sure and shout out to uh to tomo as well sean thompson oh, tom yep he's yep. like yeah sorry sorry tomo <laughs> <laughs> he's like the dude yeah um, yeah and zoe's coach now right? zoe's and, coach yep and yeah fuck, zoe man. and tian getting coached by tomo um so yeah it's cool because you know browner and tomo have known each other for a while so mm. um it's cool to see them yeah working together yeah um and tom wilmot shout out to him he was browner and my coach back in the day um and kendall and mitch yeah um and yeah, Benny Stewart. I don't ben know if you Stewart, remember him. He I was like a half pipe rider yep. for a while. Madwax, James Hamilton. He did a Madwax bar. So did James. Did it? Yeah. yeah. And, um, I haven't seen Jimmy Hamilton. Were, were you on the New Zealand team for a bit then being coached or something? Yep. Right. Yeah, Brown and I were on that for... Oh, and Steph. Steph, Yeah, right. for a couple of years. We based out, in Europe, uh, out of Larks. I actually got hurt one of those years. Um, oh, at a roaster at the World Champs. Was I just hit my shoulder. leading up to Sochi or something then? sort of sort of it was like probably 2006 or 7 right maybe 2008 oh right Tom Wilmot was like 28 and coaching us (laughs) and um, he was charging harder than we were you know he was up there um, Drew Bray we did a few trips a few Decembers in Breckenridge yeah yeah so those guys have, have carved there's been an immense amount of work that's gone on to, to get these pathways you know even mm. you know they're thinking ahead with, to create browner's role to develop the next generation you know yeah. so they're sort of thinking four years down the track so so when what, browner's dudes so browner's the the first point of contact for coaching for these he's like the boys. development coach yeah right browner I mean, I've never seen him in action coaching, but I can imagine if he, he's a really good coach. Mm. I, I would imagine he's a really, really good coach. Just mm, put um, on this National Geographic part. <laughs> um, I love that part, man, with the, the song and everything. It's like, oh, that's fucking sick. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. I actually went up to spring camp with Tomo, um, Zoe, and 
Tian last year and watched them sort of session the quarter kicker and stuff um, filmed a couple of things it was just it was great to see the process Zoe did the cab dub Mm. 10 or something yep and that was that was a pretty big deal it was a pretty big deal it was the first female to do it on a on a feature like Mm. that Um, and then like the thing um, I like about those kids though like say Tian Zoe JJ they're all so well met like they're good people totally you know they're all proper GCs Hmm. I think that's something you you end up taking for granted a little bit in the ski industry I think is how nice the people are Mm. you know we get to work with some incredibly good people you know like people who have dedicated their life to the industry Mm. um, because they love what they do and um, it's easy to take for granted but yeah, I'm sure. I mean, there's not e- not every industry people talk about the people they work with so yeah. fondly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, also, like, the... Yeah, I was just going to say, like, um, somebody who's been really exciting to watch is, like, Cool Wakashima. Yes. Yes. Um, because been... she... Well, her family um, are obviously Japanese. Like, her mum is one of the few people that I get the chance to speak Japanese to but whenever I see her she's like always you know speaks Japanese and I sometimes I try to speak a little bit of Japanese to Cool and Andrew and Rusei but um, they are always so polite and nice and you know to see Cool do what she has done like I've seen like the whole family grow mm. you know there's a really good video if you want to if you want to see a great um, wee piece of it's on Cool's mum and it's got all three children and it's like her saying how she wants to hit the jumps because she wants to feel what her children feel rad well um you know if they say they're scared i want to have been through that as well right um but cool is quite like she seems like she's charges so hard like she seems quite i mean it appears she's fearless obviously Mm. she's human and not Mm. but um it's rad to see her and she's only getting started too right yeah fuck there's I think yeah. Cool might. She's only nineteen or twenty. Yeah. Similar age to Zoe, right? Maybe a year younger. Or yeah, but well, you know, Zoe's been in, around the snow thing for quite a long time. Yeah. Now and well, I mean, I don't know. My finger's not on the pulse, but I only became aware of Cool um, when they had that session above the half pipe, and she was doing like switch fifty fifty to switch wildcats and shit. Oh um, yeah. And then yeah, and then doing the same thing, but with half cabin on to wild. Yeah. It's just like holy fuck, the youth are getting ridiculous. <laughs> and then yeah, there's um, also so there's Oscar Giorgelli and Lucia mm. Giorgelli. Um, mm. And um, I don't know, there's 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 a lot of good writers mm. coming through. So I started following but, those two on Instagram, and uh-huh. again, it was one of those things where I had to just sit down and be like, oh my god, like these kids are really good. <laughs> Like, like, oh, just warming up with the nines. Like, fucking what? <laughs> you should see the stuff they do on trampolines now. Oh, like it's shit, so man. different. When we were learning tricks, we would go and build a jump in the backcountry. You know, you mm. get the chance to do it. Well, in New Zealand, you don't get the chance every year to even do it, really. Mm. But like overseas, you know, you build a jump, like around Utah, Grizzly Gulch and stuff. There are lots of spots, and in Japan, you got the chance. But if you want to learn, like double corks mm. um, but even with backcountry jumps you've only got so many attempts 
Yeah, until the landing's bombed out. bombed out. And, and like, we hadn't done that stuff on trampolines. Mm. Like, I think I've, yeah, all of the double corks I've done have been on powder jumps. I've never tried one on mm. on a park jump, which doesn't, I don't think that's how the riders do it now. Mm. <laughs> you know, they do it on the trampoline about 50 times, then they do it on the airbag, and then they do it um, on a park jump, and then they probably take it to a, to a backcountry yeah, jump. Yeah, whereas we used to have that mentality of let's go to the soft landing. Totally. <laughs> and working it out, you know, like obviously like we had a bit of coaching and stuff, but you sort of, you haven't done the movement 400 times. Yeah. Where now they can spend all summer doing it like 400 times doing a 1260 mm. and then they take it to snow and the first one they do, they're probably going to have the feeling a little mm. bit, you know. Whereas... Um, our coaches were our peers being like, oh, dude, you <laughs> need to look this way a bit more and yeah. shit. And, you know, Less. just just, just do it, you coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Less mm. pre-spin, mate. <laughs> yeah. Before we peace out, um, I did want to talk about New Zealand snowboarding because you were part of the founding of that, right? The Instagram page. Yeah. New Zealand snowboarding, yep. So can we talk, like, what was the inspiration behind starting that and who did you do that with? Um, The inspiration behind starting that was just another phone call with Jay, (laughs) Jay Smith. Um, Like I said, like, yeah, New Zealand snowboarding owes a lot lot to that dude. Um, But he, he just said, we've got to do it. And I agreed 100% and then we called our friend Ben Parry who um, had we'd had similar conversations with and we said well let's just do it and Ben as a designer um, he whipped up a logo um, we had a bunch of content that Steph and I just shot at Cadrona that we sort of kicked things off with and then we just started reaching out to everybody mm. putting up some clips from all over the place and Jay was like we'd have this group chat going between like Parry Jay and I and like Jay would always be like, this is our growth time, boys. I know we're going we're to have two posts a day. Like, this is our growth. We're, we're growing, like... <laughs> it's so funny, the pep talks. Mm. The shit talking. The shit talking hasn't stopped, actually. Oh, I it's can just imagine. That, he's, uh, uh, he's quite a banter singer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the group chat's got slightly bigger. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we just wanted to... We just felt it had to be done, you know. NZSnowboard.com had dropped off. New Zealand Snowboarder never really did the social media thing you didn't didn't transfer well to online did it no it was just probably one of those tough ones for them and like Pat Bridges talks about a little bit in his bombhole episode but he was like take some of his there was like that transition period Mm. between like print and and social media Mm. so he said he had like he couldn't grow his online because he didn't have any online budget so Mm. he had to like steal some of his print budget Mm. to put into online and then that's where the dollars moved um and you don't want to let go of your baby and it's sort of like if you if you if your margins you know if your sponsors are dropping out and your uh costs are staying the same it obviously just you know it just has to happen so and i don't think so we just thought well let's um let's do an online thing Mm. and um yeah we did and it's it was a an instant success. Like there's a huge gap in the market for it, and obviously it's like free to join. But there's no ads or anything. It's a completely community driven thing. And um, I think yeah, it was a sign of the times as far as where media was going. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we like there's plenty of people out there doing cool stuff, and everybody goes and films everything these days mm. or gets a photo or. Um, 
and having a platform for it was fantastic and the irony now is that new zealand snowboarding has to a degree brought back print media and snowboarding. yeah yeah which (laughs) that's right to yeah it's Um, i think yeah the you know the the photo annual thing is awesome you know we we sort of brought on like brought in extra people so i think parry jay and i ran it like so it was may 2016 we started it Mm. um and then 2017 i think it was just us and in 2018 i think maybe cheese got involved Mm. um alex lucchese from Bordertown, and he was really good at like keeping up with the regular posts and stuff because we were um not posting as regularly or you know Mm. who's going to post type thing and then um then we got a bunch of people on board last year so jay's idea was just to get some somebody from every region Mm. so we've got a dude sticky up in rupehu who keeps us in the loop up there jack spence does cadrona um and we've got um chris neve um who does the mount hut stuff um and morgs Mm. morgan schofield has um really embraced his role and um is super into it Mm. so he's the one who sort of had this like bucket list item Mm. to make a magazine yeah and he went and did it oh it was and it was so cool to be a part of it yeah no and they did a really good job of like Mm. pulling it all together and troy's photos were awesome and um it's cool it's like pretty exciting for new zealand snowboarding it's kind of funny that it's all done for free yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and morgs is like yeah he's been pretty dedicated to like get it all done you know running the he and he and alex definitely do the most amount of posting and then the rest of us sort of just do what we can i liked what you um new zealand snowboarding did with the park battle for a few years yeah and um and that was cool to see it was almost like football teams like everyone's getting behind their team (laughs) a little bit and uh you know but also like me working at cadrona that's the park crew i know Mm -hmm. it was rad to see oh wow they've got some shit going on at mount hut that's fucking rad too and yeah. so is turo and so is remarkable whoa like, <laughs> those mount hut dudes are know, loose <laughs> I, loved, I loved and i say it in quite a few episodes i fucking loved their first um, oh yeah where the dude just chucks the hammers and i love <laughs> the first and most controversial oh it's great they got in trouble for it and everything i was like that is just everything about it was fucking great and when especially when the dude's doing the back rodeo and the dude's euro carving under him i was like this is fucking oh it was my it's like sorry so sorry Matt and the Cadrona boys <laughs> I've got a new favourite <laughs> but they, they understood yeah so that's another um, it's another one that I think was originally Jay's idea mm. and um, Perry and I were like hell yeah mm. it's a fantastic idea yeah. and then Jay just like so yeah if it wasn't for Jay Smith park battle no park battle probably mm. um and funnily enough, he's actually coming on the mic in a few days' time. Oh, good yeah. man. I'll be tuning in for that one. Yeah, yeah. What was this trick bag? Oh, trick bag app? Yeah. So that was that was just another crazy idea that I came up with, I guess, um, after doing the snow dice. Um, I'd done kind of well in it, I guess. And um, basically, I just wanted to, like, create an app that was like a trick list the original name was actually the trick list just so that i could like practice all my tricks or like have have a sort of a training tool essentially that you could go through and you know um make sure that you could land all your tricks and i started to do it 
by just like coming up with a formula. So it started with like 50-50 board slide, frontside board slide. So, you know, then it was board slide, lip slide, nose press, tail press, 50-50, and then just go through those. It was just rails. Oh, I did jumps as well, actually. But the rail one, yeah, there were like something like 53 rail tricks. And I managed to do like, I knew it would work if somebody wanted to take it on because I did it myself. I, I filmed all 53 tricks. Mm. And like some of them, if I didn't have that goal in front of me, I wouldn't have done them, you know. So it was, yeah. it was quite cool to go through that. And then the jumps was the same. There's like um, front side, back side, different grabs and stuff. So um, yeah, it was pretty interesting actually. It was, it was right. great, like definitely improved my snowboarding. Yeah. And um, we did like a, a bit of a launch when it first came out and it sold a bunch. And then, then actually it got taken off the App Store because they changed the, I don't know, bit rate or something that you could do apps with and the technology was a wee bit old so it went but weren't selling much at that point anyway all right huh yeah so that was just another another weird thing that i did in my snowboard career so my <coughs> first ever <coughs> snowboard competition that i went to um was the north island secondary school champs which is sort of like before i got sponsored and stuff and there are a couple of dudes that um my friend germs and i met <coughs> there one was this guy dan um another one was tom and um tom hull is like he, he just did a few seasons he's mostly been he used to work at city boards up in mm. in auckland um and has just sort of been like um a face around the snowboard scene forever so he and i remember like his set, book of knowledge that dude on a certain era of snowboarding and, and skating mm. like he's just like a nerd like skate nerd which was it was nice to find another skate nerd out in the world and um so we definitely bonded over weird um you know Mm. certain bits and pieces in that realm and we just shredded like the North Island together I remember sessioning a rail with him and and then doing this competition together with him um, he was never overly like competitive or anything but he's always cool always mm. you know um, watching stuff and messaging and whatnot. no he's been one of the dudes I've been sort of reaching out to for info on really people yeah classic oh, it's a encyclopedia yeah he's a he, pilot now somewhere or mm-hmm. something. yeah he's based out of Nelson actually Right. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, he was um, big Tom Penny fan. Yeah, huge yeah. Tom Penny fan. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Big like stickler for style. Um, <clears throat> can we talk about the office a little bit? The Carl, office uh, again. <laughs> an- another Carl uh, note. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> this uh, oh. seems to shape your interview on New Zealand snowboarder a little bit as well. Did it? Oh, I would have been deep thing. in it then for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually back. It's never really gone away, to be honest. Mm. Like, Carl and I still can't, mm. just can't help. U- UK or US? UK. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I've actually seen the... U- I, I, I can't. You I can't, can't do it? <laughs> I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen it. I've heard it's actually pretty good. I just, I see, I, I can't believe that either. <laughs> <laughs> You're a purist. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just remember, like... That first season, Carl and I were living in that motel room, and um, our friend Webbo, a really good English friend of ours at the time, got sent over a DVD, like his mum had sent it over or something, because you couldn't get it in New Zealand, I don't think. Mm. And man, we just sessioned it, and then it just like became part of, just can't get away from it, it's just part of daily conversation. Mm. and um, Chilled out entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when uh, when it finally made TV in New Zealand. I was living with four girls from England and Scotland, and they hated it. 
because it was too much of a reminder of like no way too real yeah too real too real amazing (laughs) oh this and there's so there's actually an instagram account called mr d brent like the the account is 10 out of 10 (laughs) the comments are completely off the charts like the comments are so unbelievably good it's like and it's quite funny because like Duffy's actually started commenting on a couple (laughs) (laughs) but like you're it's a very high level because it's just so great story that I've got actually around the office is um just being obviously like pretty obsessed with it um since like 2003 <laughs> i'm just remember i'm just remember the episode where he's like what am i doing in there with the dildo <laughs> <laughs> sorry well, what's this thing <laughs> she says it's not hers like a one believe it <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry that you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> Who printed this out for Joe? <laughs> you don't even have a computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> some of the shit I'm like well Gareth be like yeah in my head I still do you so I'm confused (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so I think we've just recorded two minutes of this shit (laughs) oh fuck yeah sorry um actually crying <laughs> oh, I'm not even cutting it out <laughs> so my story um, I before one winter I was um, like <laughs> I think you're crying. I think I'm crying. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, should I turn away so you can see the story? <laughs> so I was like, um, tasked with staining um, my parents' house one before one season, and I brought on a friend um, who I sort of knew but not super well. My friend Dave. And um, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's a painter and stuff. And we've just sort of been painting <coughs> for like, I don't know, it was like a two or three week job. And we've just been yarning about, you know, bits and pieces <coughs> for like three or four days. And then, and then I must have just somehow, like just not even trying to, but just busted out an office quote. And he picked up on it. And it turns out that... He, this guy Dave who I was painting with is like the biggest I've never met anybody who knows every single word of the office and it just turned to this like 
kind of like this. <laughs> like every office quote under the sun uh, for two weeks while staying in this house. And we were just in hysterics. And everything we said was an office quote. Like I don't think we had a normal conversation for the rest of <laughs> But yeah, what a thing to, to bond on. Uh, you've got to check out this Mr. D. Brent. It puts a whole new spin on it. Just the comments are so good. My, <coughs> my wife, she just thinks it's funny that I think it's so funny. She recorded, she's kind of, she's like recorded me <coughs> laughing at the comments. She's <laughs> just got a video of it. Oh. Oh, anyway, well, um, before we wrap this thing up, Nick, have you got any advice for aspiring shredders? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> we'll segue very well into that. <laughs> <laughs> In the past, die young. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Um, oh, this took a crazy turn, didn't it? Um, mm. My advice for aspiring shredders would be... You're simply the best. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I couldn't <laughs> Kick it in. Kick it in. <laughs> um, <coughs> would be to... Um, just get good. Get good at snowboarding. Get obsessed. Like, the best thing you can do... Is just be obsessed with snowboard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, just try to get as good at snowboarding as possible. Be a good person. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. This is just taking a turn for absurd. It's a little weird ending. So, get good, be good. Um, yeah, I reckon, ser- like, if we, <coughs> don't know if I'm going to be able to finish any more sentences now, but, um, oh, semi-seriously. <laughs> um, don't be afraid to, like, find a niche in Mm. snowboarding which is kind of I guess the opposite I I don't heed my own advice because I think it's it's hard not to want to sort of do everything but like I remember when I first started snowboarding all I wanted to do was hit rails Mm. I wasn't interested in jumps at all and all I wanted to do was hit rails I loved rails I wanted to progress at rails be the best at rails do everything regular do everything switch do everything just be rails and um I remember like finding an unlikely ally in uh Nate Bozung (laughs) <laughs> so I remember reading, um, like at the time, I just I just wasn't really interested in jumps. Mm. I remember reading an interview that he had, and um, there's a quote in it, which I still remember like where I was, like reading this quote, and it just said, rails are better and harder anyway. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Because at the time, like people were saying rails, maybe they'll be a fad or mm. whatever. Um, but I just always loved rails. And it kind of like, you know, it's... Definitely, like most people progress their snowboarding and they, you know, progress it in other ways. You know, want to ride bigger mountains, more power and stuff. But I mean, I still love rails. So I don't know. If you want to be like the best at rails, ride heaps of rails. If you want to be the best at jumps, ride heaps of jumps. And uh, don't be afraid to like, yeah, be that. Just find your own like niche, I guess. Mm. Which, like I said, I don't heed my own advice because 
I'm not quite sure what my niche is, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be my advice. Just get good, and uh, and I guess the only other thing is, yeah, when when thinking about sponsorship and that kind of thing, just think what if you were in the sponsor's shoes, what would you want out of you? Mm. You know, switch it around and be like, this is an exchange. What do I want? Um, why? Why would they want? to spend their money on it you know if they're going to give you a free ball what do they expect in return totally because that's, that's essentially them giving you a thousand bucks give or take well yeah you know? and you know if somebody's got a business you know distribution business or something if it's like a smaller company they've probably worked nights weekends whatever to like get that company to a point where they've actually got a marketing budget mm. so if they're going to spend some of that on you um then that's kind of awesome mm. and uh think about how you can help them it's kind of hard to think of it like that you know because there's Mm. these days I mean there's so many costs that go into doing everything mm. but would have been a bit easier back in the magazine days where it's like if you got a couple <coughs> of shots with a say a ride base graphic mm. like well, hopefully that'll help move a couple more rides off the yeah off the shelves or something like that yeah it's, it's always hard one to to quantify that one isn't it you know how yeah. many like does a cover shot sell that many more bo- you know it's all mm. hard to justify social's a little easier now you know it's like how many yeah people are talking about it or yeah. whatever just to rewind the tape a little there nick before we piece out there's a um i forgot to ask about some uh, competition results one of which was uh, winning the new zealand open back in 05 yeah 2005 um so that that season um was a pretty big one actually i i think that season yeah i won quite a few different competitions but that one was especially big um because i think so you had like all the internationals coming in for that one too. Yeah, right? yeah. I think uh, like Danny Davis was second. Jeremy Thompson, who's another um, sick rider at the time, was third. And it was kind of like a foggy day, but um, I ended up, yeah, landing my run and coming first. And uh, I think I won like five grand. <laughs> and it was um, it was like two days before my twenty first. And so I was like, well. 10% on the bar, I'm just going to buy a bunch of booze for the party, <laughs> and had a party, um, and um, yeah, and then I think later that season, it was sort of like, I ended up on Sports Cafe, which, can you remember Sports Cafe? I which do, you, I actually remember that episode. You remember it? Yeah, it was a bit later, because I was, I was away overseas in 05, and mm. I came back at mid-06. Okay. I remember it coming on and being like who's this nick hind because yeah. <laughs> i'd been out of the circles for a while ah for sure yeah. I, I was away overseas for a few years yeah it was quite funny yeah. i think um mark ellis had had a couple of beers before that um mm. and i remember him asking about certain tricks and whatnot it might have even been actually it might have been before that so he was talking about like you know the best dudes in the world and i remember talking about travis rice mm. it's like well there's travis rice who's hit this gap in utah um and he, it's like a 120 foot gap and he guinea pigged it and went like 200 feet. And Mark Ellis was like, well, what's a guinea pig? Is that where you like go down all, on all fours or something? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then there was, well, it's, um, in, it's interesting of, when you speak about snowboarding to non-snowboarding, it's like, yeah, you have to dial back a little bit on terms and. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't really something I even thought of at the time mm-hmm. as like, uh, but yeah, obviously like it's just something we use all the time, but mm normal people don't use it every day um but yeah that was that was quite a crazy one in terms of like 
mainstream media being on TV for snowboarding? Was yeah, so is that a bit of a trip out? Like, you know, like, what's it like, <laughs> like, when they put you on TV? Like, yeah, I mean, it was pretty you kind of get used to it pretty quickly i guess um a little bit of nerves beforehand and stuff and it's just funny because i was like being in front and behind the cameras a lot mm. sort of ever since um but at the time it was quite a big deal it was like a pretty big sort of show so it was hmm. yeah it was interesting and was that year the new zealand open was at snow park right no it was at cadrona was at cadrona yeah so it was sort of the first year um before it, like, it sort of went to another level the next year where they mm. brought in way more internationals that i think they got like mini and a few other big sponsors on board mm. um it was and it was might have been the first year that they'd done proper slope style before that used to do like a half pipe and then they did a rail jam as well mm. i remember doing the rail jam the year before which is sort of down in that similar area to where they did all the winter games rail mm. jam stuff um but yeah uh that was that was pretty dreamy result and that same year i won the the bro down as well right and so, i think yeah and then we went to star wars and that's where i got hurt right so what happened at star wars i blew my acl essentially so that was a game changer like yeah pretty much 2004 won a lot of competitions 2005 i think i won every one i went in i think mm. i can't I, uh and then went to star wars came up short on a jump and it just felt like both my legs had broken it was a pretty big jump and um there's basically like <clears throat> how it happened is they salted the jump um and there's a helicopter behind and i was like well how fast do you go i like hadn't seen it and um it looked like it was going to be super fast i could see all these carve tracks that other people had put in so um the guy's like go go drop drop i was like oh this thing's like 85 feet i'm kind of scared i'd hit it the run before i think um but i was like okay i've got to go at some point and then um i just remember like just doing front five coming around and just boom super hard that killed my love for big jumps i think it's hard sometimes it's like i definitely hit big i don't know if i ever hit jumps that big afterwards but it just sort of put everything in perspective for me i was like well i don't really you know, like, sort of the older you get as well, you start to, like, is the juice worth the squeeze? Mm. And a big, it's like, yeah, sometimes, like, probably not. See, I was, I'm jealous of those dudes that have that strong mental game where they can get back on the horse like that, because mm. I couldn't. And when I went back to biggish jumps, I always felt like I was surviving. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't. I was like, nah, it's, it's mm. just, I can't. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I definitely got back into jumping. I was just never like super into those big, big jumps. Like Star Wars were pretty like. I remember. Man, can you remember the one they built? It was like 120 foot and Torstein did every trick over it. It was yeah, like and, properly and ridiculous. Well, Steph hit it too, I think. Steph down. Fucking. Yeah, dangerous. Two, right? Dangerous. They yeah. Two tables. They were fucking nah. buildings. So I probably would have, you know, when I did that, I would have. If that was on a jump built these days, maybe I would have, instead of falling like a story and a half. Mm. to flat i would have probably just landed on a horrible knuckle and maybe got away with it but yeah anyway could have shot what is <laughs> yeah i still like it wasn't mm. actually torn all the way it was a really niggly one and i ended up going overseas anyway and having to come home and oh man so we talked about jake coyer before were you, were you there when he jumped off the snow park bridge with will mm. yeah i think i was i was strapping his board in i was like right. the binding guy i wasn't gonna hit it 
fuck no. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's cr- that's kind of crazy. And Jake was, um, I, I think, yeah, because Jake and I would, you know, we we did sort of a bit of coaching together and we'd often, you know, carpool and stuff like that. And so I was over there with him and, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty scary looking down at that thing. Yeah. Like, off the top of the bridge. Um, but, yeah, for Jake, you know, it was, he just took it in a stride. Mm. Will hit it too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because yep. Will, Will got the cover of New Zealand Snowwater with that. Uh-huh. And so I remember, it must have been the season after, we were like walked across and looked down, we're like, oh, yeah, we've got a fair height, so I'm standing on the bridge right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But, because it's interesting, you talk about Jake before, and it's like easy to forget that um, he was actually like a really well-rounded rider, like giant cripplers in the pipe. You know, like his free riding was phenomenal. He went to Alaska and Big Air yeah I reckon yeah, and, then, and then and then he hit that Arrowtown rail too he did eh when he yeah. was yeah when he was a grom like for him yeah yeah like yeah true I forgot about that yeah um, I reckon he's probably one of the most talented dudes mm. ever like yeah. he he wouldn't snowboard that much but mm. he snowboarded like he snowboarded all the time yeah. and he was strong you know everything he did he did well and he um yeah, and then he'd like 2015, he just sort of had had enough. Because mm. what's he up to these days? He's got a wee boy, oh, yeah. like exactly the same age as my daughter, and um, he's living, living with his uh, living with his partner in, in Australia and his son. And, oh, right. Yeah, his son is like a mini version of him. He's super cute. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, again, he's another rider that was raised by Coronet. Yeah. You know, and like AJ says in his episode, like that mountain teaches you how to ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the yeah. terrain is sick. We would mm. when we were coaching there. We you know we were just up there, rain, hail or shine, mm. and um, we just make the most of it. Mm. Oh, well, before we uh, head into our enders, Nick, have you got any uh, thank yous and shout outs? Oh, there would be such a long list, and I'm going to forget so many people. Um, I actually wish I'd written a list now, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank yous, yeah. Um, I guess I need to thank, you know, from back mum and dad yeah. for letting me do the crazy things that I wanted to do, you know, like yeah. um, they never said, why do you want to go to Japan? That's crazy. They're just like, you want to go to Japan? Cool. Mm. Um, oh, you want to snowboard for a living? Cool. Mm. Um, oh, you want to make films? Cool. You know, I was never questioned what I was doing. It was... Um, always just really supportive so super lucky in that regard um my wife got to thank her um because she's been so supportive of everything since the day we met and um yeah makes life awesome um dutty got to thank carl dunham uh, my my number one source of information here. <laughs> he, said, he said don't block him <laughs> <laughs> He's probably got some office quotes for you. <laughs> um, Brown, I mean, oh, countless amounts of times I could thank Browner for like letting me double on his sled, letting me stay at his house, picking me up from the airport. Oh my god, I could, uh, there's so many things I could thank Browner for. Mm. Rob Mitchell, like just for being such great inspiration from right from the start through skating, snowboarding. Heath for just being himself and being inspiring and um, 
getting everybody down to Queenstown. Oh, everybody who has let me sleep on their couch, which has been a lot of people. There's one season overseas I didn't sleep on a bed for three and a half months. So um, yeah. to all my friends in Japan who have let me stay with them, to my host family, to my host brother, phew, my God, the most patient dude in the world. Um, oh, I, sponsors, Jamie Bassett, mm. still, still sending the love. Still holding the ride program down. Still holding the ride program down, Smith. Epic gear, by the way. A Jake Pine is somebody who I haven't mentioned, but he's actually somebody who was super influential um, to me back in the day. He's the founder of Lower, and he would like. He's older than us, but like he would just always be really interested in what we're doing, you know. Mm. And that's sort of what you need as a Grom, I think, is just somebody interested, somebody that cares, you know. Mm. And he always cared. I remember like getting it to the point. Where I remember going to his house to to like stick on my snowboard. Because yeah. like, I get his you know his input on like where should I put these stickers and um, oh, there's so many people to thank like I can't even um, the Skiers Association for letting me make this film this year that's mm. that's been huge um, really um, every campaign that every every mountain has let me do for them uh, every brand has let me do their advertising um, every friend I don't know I, I'm gonna get yeah there's too many there's they, just too many they know who they are every yeah coaches you know Tom Tomo uh, like yeah yeah. so many um, people from over the years that I need to thank mm. um, too many mm. too many oh they know who they are yeah they roll into our enders now that hopefully know, know the drill by now yeah, yeah, actually. <clears throat> I should have thought about this a bit more. <coughs> uh, favourite rider? Favourite rider, locally. or you, you know what? You go one local, one international. One local, one international. Favourite rider? Oh, definitely Browner. Yeah. Definitely Browner. Sweet. Always. Yeah. Mean. Uh, international. Oh, man, I'm kind of inspired by... It's kind of tough, actually. There's so many at the moment. Mm. Um, I'm just going to say, I don't know. There's some of the like, some of the rail riders that are coming out who are really inspiring. Um, but also, I'm just going to say Benedict. Yeah. Because he's such an inventor. Mm. I mean, it's he's one of those dudes. I sort of thought he'd be around snowboarding for longer. Yeah, I think he yeah. um, he just had a bit. Of, he had had enough. Mm. Like. Where do you go from doing... He did switch double backside rodeo 12. Like, Yeah, where do you go from there? Like, well, I mean, you, yeah. yeah. No, it's, we know where you go, but it's like, do you want to go there? Yeah. So, And he probably asked himself that question and uh, mm. wrote a book on it instead. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Favourite mountain? Favourite mountain, I'm going to have to say Remarkables so. because it's got everything. Um, it's where... I learned a lot of different tricks. Um, Japan, I'm going to have to say Tenjin Daida, which is sort of local, local hill. Um, that is just powder city. Right. Uh, favorite board? Favorite board would be the Mikey LeBlanc. Ah, so. 156 from Ride that I um, 
yeah, it's the only board I haven't been able to part with. It's still um, it's where I had sort of my breakthrough season, if you like, two thousand four, mm. my first ride board. So, um, yeah, good, still got that. <clears throat> Favorite video part? Favorite video part? <laughs> it's a hard one, that one. Ah, oh, from which era? You know, like. Um, favorite video part i don't know like see under favorite rider i i seriously contemplated like louis <coughs> yeah right um what do you want to do favorite video part then and now boris said opening up a whole can of worms favorite video part i'm just gonna go with um i don't know when i think about really groundbreaking video parts it's hard to go past like travis rice's part in pop yeah yeah um when i think about it like travis is probably the greatest to ever do it you know like mm. i don't know like yeah and that part was so ahead of its time so yeah um in terms of like a video part to talk about forever you know there's other ones that are super that stick out in your mind as well like the the amanda marshy one like all those ones and then like some rail parts like i remember lnp in the rome movie was pretty crazy yeah yeah um I've always been pretty interested in dudes like Louis and LMP who were doing tricks at the time that just didn't really make sense. Yeah. And there's there's so many rail dudes now, like um, a dude, I think his name's Pat Farber or something, like doing the gnarliest rail tricks, stuff that doesn't even make sense, like Hardway 270 pretzel and stuff. But um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to say for favorite video part because I think it's, if you put it on today, I think it would still stand up pretty strong, mm. that mm. pop part, eh? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Uh, favorite gig favorite gig um the national uh auckland city limits 2016 yeah favorite city favorite city tokyo 100% most insane city ever (laughs) Uh, favorite track favorite track um probably uh an ollie or a backside lip slide so um, so if I have to choose one, backside lip slide. Favorite board graphic. Favorite board graphic would be. There's actually one. Um, one there's a ride board, that's like the Dylan Ojo. Um, I have to. I'll, I'll get a. I have to get a photo and and send it to you Dylan Ojo ride board it's um it's pretty new so it may not have been seen before but that one has actually got a really nice graphic on it oh sweet um and who has the best method best method I would give that to Mikkel bang yes he's definitely got the best method I've ever seen in real life he did this one in Japan like through these trees that was insane like he was building this thing for ages and um there's actually a, I think it's Mikkel, there's a poster up at Cadrona, and there's it's a burden poster. Somebody doing a method. I think it's Mikkel. All oh, right, I don't know. It's like if you're looking at if you come in through the arch and it's like far left, it's a beautiful method. Right. But I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give that to Mikkel. And final bonus question: What's the key to a good method? What's the key to a good method? Key to a good method is. Um, Getting a lot of pop and 
I think the key to a good method is making it look natural, not forced. Any forced method just doesn't work. So as long as it's not forced, the more natural it looks, the better it's going to look. So um, technically, I'm not sure what the best way to explain that is, but yeah, just if, has to not look forced. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Mm. You can tell a forced method, eh? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nick, and I look forward to seeing this film project when it comes out. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to releasing it. Sweet. Thank you for having me. Cool. No worries. Mm-hmm.